What's up, friends? Welcome back to episode seven of the Hard Hitting Sports Podcast. I am your host, Jack Bradley. We are excited for Super Bowl week. We are excited for the NBA, and we are saddened by the retirement of Dustin Pedroia. On the left of my Zoom screen, I got my dear friend, Jordan Lowey. Jordan, how are we doing today? Uh, we're doing great, man. Had an awesome day off from work because of the snowstorm that we just got. So I'm very excited about that. How was your day, Jack? It was pretty good. As a uh, as a healthcare worker and a central employee, I was still uh, readily active. Did some shoveling up here in Massachusetts. So if you're out in that snow, uh, stay safe. I heard places in New Jersey got 30 plus inches. So um, yeah, yeah. But without any further ado, uh, Jordan and I have been pretty busy lately. We've had we made some friends. We we're on the Sliced Apple podcast with our friends David and Alex. If you haven't checked them out, definitely go check them out. They're running their Super Bowl week all week. Uh, good guys, know their stuff. And then I was actually on the Jazz Notes podcast on Saturday. He dropped the episode that night. Talked some NBA. Went over the first quarter of the season. So it was pretty awesome to to make some friends there. But tonight we actually have some special guests. Uh, two friends of ours uh, from Bryant University. I'll do the honors of interest, uh, introducing my friend. His name is Mitch Leonard. Uh, he is a dear friend. Some could say a brother to some, to quote the famous Stephen A. Smith. Mitch, you want to introduce yourself to the people? Uh, glad to be here, Jack. Thanks for having me. Uh, definitely an honor to be on the uh, Hard Hitting Sports podcast and uh, debate later on about the MVP with Jordan. It's going to be a good fun time. <laughs> There's a little bit of a sneak preview. Uh, and in terms of uh, the next person, Jordan, I'll let you do the honors of introducing our next Portuguese friend. Uh, I am so excited to introduce this guy. My former roommate, my partner in crime, my COD partner here and there, my original Fortnite duos comrade, the one and only Portuguese meister, Eric Mauricio. How are you doing today, buddy? What up, what up, what up, what's up, guys? How are we doing today? I'm doing all right, guys. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here with you guys debating, you know, MVP uh, MVP awards, Super Bowl talk, and just guys doing a great job. I'm just happy to be here. I do want to shout out Eric. Uh, on my original podcast, uh, Wash Up Wednesdays that I had last year, uh, one of the episodes I had him on, we were about halfway through the year, and he said, look out for the Titans because they're starting to get hot. I believe they were 4-4 four and four at the time on a two-game win streak. They go on to the AFC Championship led by Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. So shout-out to Eric for a great prediction there. Hopefully we'll see another awesome prediction from him tonight as we move into the Super Bowl. Maybe some Tom Brady stuff is going to come up. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah, ready, boys. It's going to be exciting. Let's go. Let's go. So – Without any further ado, we're going to kick off this episode in the NFL. Jordan, just a couple more weeks of kicking it off in the NFL. We're going to have to transition over to the NBA soon. But uh, we're going to kick it off with the NFL, go over our award predictions. Those are being announced Saturday night. Then we're going to head into our Super Bowl picks uh, and previews. We all have our keys to the game and what our score predictions will be. Then Mitch and Eric are going to hop off. We'll cover anything else in the NFL. Uh, head over to the NBA. Pretty busy week in the NBA. So, some clutch buzzer beaters, D-book. Uh, Westbrook and Dame time, obviously, with some huge, uh, huge shots. And then over to the MLB, uh, obviously going to cover the Arenado trade. And then obviously the sad news of Dustin Pedroia. So without any further ado, we're going to get started. Uh, we'll get right into it. Defensive rookie of the year. All four of us have a pick. Uh, guys, I don't know if you want to get, you know, start the chemistry up here, but maybe in unison, I'll count us down from three. 
we can all say our pick at once. And you at home too, if you're listening and you want to chime in and feel a part of the group, by all means, throw it out there. Ready? Three, two, one. Chase, Chase Young. Young. Jordan, that's kick it off. Sound, that's going to sound hilarious <laughs> on the lag. Because yeah. when we did it last week, I was like, oh, we said it at the same time. And then when we I did. watched it, I was a split second we behind did. you. So, yeah, I kind of jumped Jordan. the gun on that. Why, yeah, why do we all have Chase Young? Chase Young, just unbelievable pass rusher. Um, in only a few, not a few games this year, he did miss two or three. I uh, was able to generate 53 pressures. He also had seven and a half sacks, forced a good amount of fumbles as well, had a fumble recovery for a touchdown, was flat out the best rookie uh, defender of the year. The only other two guys in consideration were Jeremy Chin, uh, who was a great run defender, but not a great pass defender. And then Julian Blackman was the only other one who was a great pass defender, but not a great run defender. So Chase Young, obviously, is it can only defend against the run, except when he's pressuring the QB and sacking him. So he was effective on both ends on that game, dominated a lot of other defensive ends in the league in terms of play and production style. And for that reason, we all chose Chase Young, clear and concise. I don't think there, it's going to be unanimous that he wins defensive rookie of the year. Anybody else got anything to chime in there? Did Mitch? Yeah. The, so obviously all of what Jordan said, that's part of, that's a huge part of it. He's just such an amazing talent. I think a huge part of it too. I think a lot of people saw it towards the end of the, uh, the season for them, especially in that, uh, that last game against the bucks in the, in the playoffs. He's such a leader on the team. Like he's a captain in his first year as a rookie. Uh, Shout out to Wayne Haskins. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, he brings so much energy to the team. Like if you watch him in like NFL film films, like you can tell he's just electric with the whole team and like hyping up Heineken and everything like that. Like obviously the talent's a huge part of it, but like just being an example on the team at such a young age, like that's why I had him as my uh, offensive uh, or defensive rookie of the year. Gotcha. I don't really have much to add. Eric, I don't know if you have anything to add there, but it's just an absolute uh, beast. Absolute beast. I love the guy. And, 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 and <laughs> he actually only did miss, end up missing one game. He may have missed part of a, of a game, but um, it was showing that he played 15 games this year. So um, okay. I might cool. have had that wrong. It's okay. He may have missed a game. I, as we all know, we're not Washington football diehards here, but is what it is. Um, cool. So hopping into the next one, we got offensive rookie of the year. Uh, two of us agreed. I guess we're in teams here. I guess, Jordan, you want to, you want to start out again with, since, since we're on the rookie, you want to start out with your pick? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'm going to say Justin Jefferson and I'm going to pass it over to my buddy, Eric, on why he thinks he should win offensive rookie of the year. Cause I know he also believes that he is the guy, Eric, what do you got for us for Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson, if he's in the same conversation as Randy Moss breaking his record, Randy Moss being a Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver, obviously for the Vikings, with the Patriots, absolute amazing talent. And, you know, the other part of the conversation is a lot of people talk about uh, Justin Herbert as also being a offensive rookie of the year. But what Justin Jefferson did for the Vikings offense was just incredible side by side with Adam Thielen you know taking a big big spot from um, Stefan Diggs which was you know in itself a challenge in itself if you look at it right but the other part of it too is like if you watched um, I think it was like two three weeks ago on the NFL Instagram uh, they actually had a feature of the Eagles drafting Jalen Rager 
And as soon as the Vikings found out that Justin Jefferson is on the board, they're like, what? Are you kidding me? Get me that guy right now. No. Justin, not right? So then mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson didn't play the first two games of the year. They put him in, and they were just like, dude, this guy's a talent. Lucky for me, I had him on my fantasy team. So every All week. All right. Was, thanks, Eric. <laughs> oh, he was awesome. He was just an electric talent. Great hands, great movement, great route runner. Absolutely great dancer. Great dancer. Uh, I guess, Mitch, I, I know I'll let you speak on Chase Young. If you don't mind me taking my boy Herbert here. Uh, you and I, so Mitch and I both had Herbert. Uh, again, we were roommates, so it's kind of the roommate battle here. Uh, Herbert, literally just looking at the stats, uh, first two games through for over 300 yards, especially that Chiefs game. He, they were in it the whole time. I think everyone remembers that game from week two through for 311 yards, just kind of on the spot too, just came into the game. He did, That wasn't even his job, I want to say, until week like five or six. Anthony Lynn did not confirm him as the starter. He kept saying Tyrod was going to be back. Um, and only about f- in 15 games, he still threw for 43 over 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Uh, we all saw that Monday night game against the Saints where he just went off, um, almost won that game, only lost by about three, but four touchdowns, 264 yards, no interceptions. Uh, had a huge game against the Bucks. ended up losing there too by only a touchdown, but kept them in that game, 290 yards. So looking at specific games, um, you know, other than that Patriots game, he kept them, the, the Chargers really looking at the scores too, really didn't like lose games getting like blown out. And a big part of that was Herbert. Um, and this is also traditionally, it seems to go to a quarterback. I feel like in the past, I haven't looked at past winners, but I just have a feeling Justin Herbert, just the way he stepped in the way he did what he did, um, just really just is going to get him this award, especially with guys like Eckler out. I know Keenan Allen missed a few games with his tooth or whatever it was, but, um, he's, I, I just, I just don't see him losing this to Jefferson. Jefferson's definitely a worthy candidate, not, not knocking him at all. Yeah, the only thing I have to add to that is, like, just in terms of, like, comparing him to other people, like, he had 4,336 passing yards, uh, more than Russ, more than Kirk Cousins, uh, more than Phillip Rivers, if you want to throw that in there, too, like, as a rookie. I think he broke the touchdown record as well, like, just an amazing talent. And like you said, just kind of, like, five minutes before the game, like, hey, you got to come in and play against Patrick Mahomes, good luck. Like, the way he went to handle that and everything, like, I just think he had an amazing season. There's definitely a bright future ahead for him. Yeah, no, definitely. So that'll be, I think that'll be a, a good competition. It's definitely between one of those two guys, it seems like. So that'll be a, that'll be one that's thrown out there um, and kind of not, we won't know that one until probably the night of. Cool. Uh, most improved player. A lot of us were in agreement. So I guess, Eric, you want to kick it off with your other fantasy guy? Josh Allen, baby. <laughs> Josh Allen. Josh Allen was an electric talent this year. Some people can make the argument that Stephon Diggs made him better, but if you look over stats-wise for Josh Allen, whether it be runs, touchdowns, um, completion completion percentage, that was a really big part of his game that he was missing out on in his first couple of years. Um, dude just looked sharp in the pocket, was completely in focus. You know, sucked to see him lose against the Chiefs last week. You know, wasn't his best game overall. But overall, on a talent-wise for him, it's going to be very scary in the AFC East in the, in the future. Um, I'm, I wish I had uh, Josh Allen as my quarterback in New England, but you know that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but Jordan, what do you think on your most improved player, my friend? Before I get into this, I just want to give everyone context, context at home that Eric Mauricio, Mauricio was indeed this year's fantasy champion in our league, only losing one game. You yeah. lost only one game, right? Yep. 
So yeah, one game, it was I had sixty six points. He, he, <laughs> that he was... lost two. He, he lost two. Oh yeah, two. My bad. <laughs> Either way, and he lost Christian McCaffrey for the entire season for the most part, and still ran the league. So yes, sir. So that's why we're all very salty about his picks for the MV, uh, for the awards for the season. But uh, my guy was different from everyone else's. Um, I want to talk about a position that doesn't get talked about a lot, and that's offensive tackle. And Garrett Bowles, in my opinion, is the most improved player, mostly because he didn't really get any help to be better, um, where Josh Allen got Stephon Diggs. They beefed up the offensive line. That defense played out of their minds. Garrett Bowles was on one of the worst offenses and was on one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. Um, on 1,015 snaps, he did not allow a single sack, and he was protecting Drew Locke, who has admitted he's, he is probably one of the worst quarterbacks in the league when it comes to decision-making. Um, only had seven penalties. What was that, Mitch? The first word I think about him, I heard another podcast say once, it's just irresponsible whenever I hear him. Yes. <laughs> so, sorry, there's another one. You've gone. You're good, no. But I, I agree with that. And I was a big Drew Locke uh, train rider. Um, I was really I was really hyped for him this season. And just to see what he did this year, I'm like, come on, man. But it's not Garrett Bowles' fault how he did, obviously. Uh, since before this season, Garrett Bowles was probably the worst left tack, starting left tackle in the NFL um, up until the season. They declined his fifth-year option, um, and he came in this year with the mission, took down some of the best edge rushers in the league, and solidified himself as the anchor for that Broncos offensive line all year long, especially even with the rookie center, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, which doesn't sound like a big deal having a rookie center, but he's the guy that's calling all the shots for that offensive line when the quarterback's not the one making decisions. So you have a rookie center, a second-year quarterback, making all most of your decisions for you, and he went out and did his job every single snap, was awesome in the run game. According to PFF, was the fourth-best offensive lineman, period, in the NFL. Um, and for those reasons, he is my most improved player this year. Can't argue with that. Uh, I mean, I had Josh Allen as well. I just think when you go from kind of below 40% completion percentage, I want to say it was pretty low. No, sorry, below 40% or 50% QBR, uh, below 60% completion percentage. It was 58.8 last year compared to 69.2. Obviously, a lot of credit goes to Diggs, but we can't forget guys like Cole Beasley had a huge year. John Brown did have a down year, but Josh Allen obviously carried that team through for almost 100, 111 more pass attempts this year, 17 more touchdowns, did throw one more interception, but you're going to obviously do that when you're throwing the ball more. Um, and 69.2% completion percentage this year. I think anyone who kind of just goes right in from that, you know, you're a bottom tier quarterback or low tier quarterback all the way to an MVP candidate in one year, usually define or usually wins you the most improved player. Nothing against Garrett Bowles. It's just, that's kind of the nature of the NFL and how it goes. Mitch, anything yeah. to add? I mean, pretty much all summed up, right? Like went from the terrible completion percentage to what he has now. Um, I remember he was really bad at the deep ball. And, like that was a huge part yeah. of his game this year. Like just overall really did improve. And like Eric said, I wish he was in New England, uh, but we're not going to get that anytime soon. So uh, definitely excited to see what he does in the future with Stefan Diggs and um, you know, Gabriel Davis was improving too. I believe that's the other receiver too. Yep. So it's going to be a crazy core uh, next year and coming years from that. Yeah. 
Well, I guess if Jordan wins, we owe him like a beer or something because that's a, that would be a pretty bold pick. I don't know if an offensive lineman's ever won most improved player. It's a very Jordan even, to say. <laughs> I don't even, do they even do most improved for the NFL? I know they do the NBA, but do they do for the do NFL? They? You added this award, Jordan. Did I? Did I? <laughs> I don't did remember I? adding the MIP. You might no, have. I um, thought, no, because I thought, uh, I don't know. Oh, that's hilarious. No, but I think I Googled way, it. I think there was award. Vegas odds out on it, so. Vegas, okay, so that's an award, award unless yeah. the NFL honors adds it this year. I, I don't think it's an AP award, but I think it's an NFL honors award. Gotcha, um, okay. So, yeah, no, what, it is well, It is an award. There are candidates listed for it, so. Interesting. You're right, okay. it might not be. We'll have to keep an eye on for it. <laughs> hey, we but just we like it. five minutes, I guess. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, Cool. Comeback player of the year. Again, we're all kind of in agreement. Jordan has an additional pick. Uh, Jordan thinks there's going to be a tie. I want to say is that is that kind of what the the consensus is? Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. I think it's going to be a, a co-split. Uh, how the MVP sometimes will get split split offensive player. Um, I think there's two candidates both deserving of comeback player of the year. Both their initials are A Smith. Uh, that's Alex Smith and Alden Smith. Both for very different reasons, both for very valid reasons. Um, both easily could have lost their life, what they both went through. Alex Smith, obviously the leg injury, but I think Alden Smith is getting overlooked. I'm not taking anything away from Alex Smith here, but Alden Smith has been uh, battling drug and alcohol abuse, abuse and depression for the past six years. Um, had the most sacks ever for a player in his first two seasons. I believe he had 34 which is an average of 17. And over your first two years, that's an astronomic number compared to anyone else in the NFL. For a player to do that two years straight is very impressive. And he did it in his first two seasons. Um, Left the NFL for a while, um, came back to the Cowboys at age 30, put on the same sort of dominance that he showed a while back. I think he only had eight sacks this year, but still an impressive season for Alton Smith. He had a fumble recovery touchdown. Um, was a big part on a pretty bad defense. Um, not saying he was a big part of the reason why they were bad, but he was one of the bright spots, him and Trayvon Diggs. Um, so I think he is deserving to come back from what he did and be absent from the NFL for five, six years and to have near the same production he had his first two seasons. I think it's just awesome. And obviously Alex Smith breaking his leg, almost dying, uh, being told he'll never play football again. He'll never even walk again and coming out and putting the Washington football team on his back, going five and one, uh, just lighting up the air and doing as best as he can to bring that team to the playoffs. Yeah. The rest of us had Alex Smith. Um, I, I just think just given the story, given the the situation, kind of how he was a leader for that team, especially since he basically led them to the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately he didn't get to play in that game, but I think he just had a huge year, like you were saying, the, the surgery, the whole story, basically what, 17 leg surgeries later. We all know that's been a huge storyline this year, especially for, for a, a guy who's no more deserving for it. He's definitely a great guy. He's been a leader for the, that team. I know we're talking about Chase Young earlier, but Alex Smith, definitely the veteran presence. Hopefully he can come back next year. I'm not sure it, it's looking that way, unfortunately, just due to the injuries and the, the nature of his injuries. But uh, I, I think it's just going to be Alex Smith, just kind of given the nature, again, kind of like uh, we were talking about with most improved player, just given the, the nature of the position and things like that. Fun Anyone? fact, oh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Alex Smith in games starting for the Washington football team is 11-4, and four, spanning from 2018 until now. So he's a winner. He's a proven 
efficient passer. Um, would love to see him come back, but who knows? He's 35 now. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Anyone got anything to add on that? No, pretty much the same thing. Like, they should name the award after him, some people are saying, right? Like, it's just so crazy. I don't think they will, right? But, like, it's yeah. just an amazing story. Um, there's a documentary out about it, too. I haven't seen it, but um, I've heard it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's an uh, incredible story what he did, and that's why he's my uh, comeback player of the year. I'm sure that'll be a good – I'm sure he'll come out with some sort of book or some sort of – something that'll be a good read in a couple yeah. of years guys always do that so that'll be that'll be an interesting read good guy mm. cool well now is where the debate starts we got offensive player of the year four of us three different answers let's see eric you want to kick it off you got you got a little bit of a unique pick so kick it off i have the underdog for this i think my offensive player of the year is travis kelsey a tight end the position that you know everyone for this award usually goes qb a wide receiver but let's just talk about a little bit about travis kelsey and the amazing year he had he actually came second in yards only to, in week 17, only to Stephon Diggs as a tight end. It's not like Kansas City just ex- throws exclusively to Travis Kelsey. You know, you have Tyreek Hill on the other side of the ball with him. He's just an absolute beast on the on the ball. Anytime they throw the ball to him, it reminded me of like Gronk back in the day or and, uh, Tony Gonzalez. He's just an absolute monster. You get the ball to him, he'll get that touchdown for you. He'll tackle two, three guys. He'll make those blocks in the offensive line. You know, he was fifth in receptions with 105. He averaged about 13.5 carries, uh, 13.5 yards a game. Had 11 touchdowns, which isn't the highest in the league uh, for sure. But amongst even tight ends, like the gap between the next closest tight end is Darren Waller. After that, you have... um, Andrews on the Ravens like there's no comparison to him like he's he had a crazy year he even beat Gronk's record of just like like receiving yards too like you gotta recognize like even the tight end position you know like I said he's gonna be overshadowed most likely by Aaron Rodgers or he might be overshadowed by like some of the running backs this year but Travis Kelsey deserves to be in the conversation if not why not go with the tight end this year to change it up so that's my argument on Travis Kelsey yeah, half his games he had over 90 yards receiving in the regular season. I know this isn't a postseason award, but he did have two more 100-yard games in the playoffs. But uh, definitely there. I don't think he had a game under like maybe he had one game, two games with three catches. Um, everything else, he was he was at least five or above, which for tight ends really good. Yeah, and I also do want to bring up that uh, this is his best run blocking season ever, and per PFF, that's a 78.4 run blocking grade which is a a great number to have, especially at the tight end position. There's some offensive linemen that don't even have a 78 run blocking grade. So for a tight end to get that just shows that he was dominant in the pass and the run. So I think it's a great consideration that he should be one of the guys considered for the award. So shout out to Eric uh, finding the information on Travis Kelsey there. Dig that. Go for it, Jordan. Yeah, my guy, uh, Devontae Adams, I think, by far is – there goes Mitch clapping. He was the Green Bay Packers of fantasy football this year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, Devontae Adams, I think, is just the best receiver in the NFL right now. I know I was hot on DeAndre Hopkins early in the year, but game over game, Devontae was just unbelievable. I believe he had more receiving touchdowns than eight teams in the NFL this year. Um 
His route running is he makes one move and it's the same move at the start of every route and he can run anything off of that. Um, his receiving yards, his receptions. And yes, you can argue he's Aaron Rodgers' only target. So that's why he's getting that. But then you got Robert Tunyon, who also had 11 touchdowns. Marquez Valdez Scantling, who was really good this year besides his drops. Aaron Jones is a receiving monster out of the backfield that a lot of people ignore. Um, Devontae Adams by far is the best receiver in the NFL and should 100% get the offensive player of the year award. Cause without Devontae, um, that offense still might click, but not to the level that Devontae was able to produce. Absolutely. I think it'll be interesting, especially since he missed so many games, if he can, uh, sneak into that award. I think if he played a full season, there definitely might not be some questions, but, uh, Mitch, you're our guest. What, what, what do you got? What, what's your pick? First of all, I want to say I love the Devontae love there because, uh, like Jordan said, I had him on my fantasy team. So I became, basically became, became a Packers fan this year. Lifelong Green Bay Packers fan. Yeah, whole time. Um, but my my not MVP, my offensive player of the year is Derrick Henry. Like 2,000 yards. Jordan had the stat before. I think it's like, what, he's one of eight people to do it ever or something like that. Yep. Um, yep. Absolute beast. And um, – I don't know. Like you just watch him. He's just a, he's a human highlight reel. Just like the stiff arms he does throughout the year. I uh, just entertaining to watch obviously a beast on the field and like means a lot to that team. So definitely uh, an incredible player. And uh, yeah, just uh, the, he's a, my player of the year for that or offensive player of the year. Yeah. I, I have Derrick Henry as well. He was on my fantasy team. I know we're all just bragging about who we had on our fantasy team. So that's my flex. Um, but no, I have um, Derrick Henry. I, he ran for over 100 yards, I want to say 10 times. He obviously had three 200-yard games. Two of them are against uh, Houston, who he always seems to dominate. Not even that we're, I'm knocking him on that, but um, just huge, you know, basically open, open the door was the primary running back, especially in a, in a league now where a lot of teams use two or three running backs, even like the Packers, for example, Jamal Williams is getting his fair share of carries. AJ Dillon's getting in there. I mean, teams like the Patriots, you never see the same guy twice. It seems like so for him in a, in a league now where it's so much different than it was a couple of years ago. And teams really don't have one primary back that they're using all the time. Uh, especially Derrick Henry. He's not a pass catcher. So, you know, once, you know, when they're lined up in the eye formation, nine times out of 10, he's, he's running the ball and he's going to carry it. He's going to pound the rock. So just in, in kind of teams can scheme for it. Obviously we saw what the Ravens did in the playoffs, but again, this isn't a, a playoff award. This is a regular season award. So Derrick Henry, I think just with the 2000 yards, I mean, just the, the games, even against the green Bay, I know he kind of got shut down, still had 98 rush yards in that game, played Pittsburgh, still had 75 rush yards in that game. Um, still put up 68 against the Bears. So even against teams where he didn't necessarily have his best game, he was still still able to get the ball and st- still able to get yards for, for that Titans team. Cool. Anyone got anything else to add there? No, I think we're all set. We're ready to move to a defensive side defensive of the ball Defensive player. Here. So uh, another three versus one here. Uh, Mitch, how about you, you kick it off this time? We should let our guests talk more, Jordan. We talk too much. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I just I, – I wanted to put Aaron Donald just because I think he deserves it every year, but I kind of don't want to just because he hogs the award almost. Uh, so I just put TJ Watt. I just know, like – the I don't know a lot about his stats, to be completely honest. I know he was – like, I think he might have been the sack leader this year. Again, he was. Like, that's probably going to be – He was? Okay, yep. there we go. I just thought about the, the Pittsburgh defense the whole time, like – I did say the whole year they were a fraud 11-0 and when they were undefeated, but that defense was absolutely legit with him and uh, 
think it was Bud Dupree on the other side too. Yep. So absolute beast there. Um, so being a sack leader, I guess that's enough of an argument in itself, but I just think of that defense being ferocious and he was like the cornerstone of that. So that's why I had him as my defensive player. Yeah. He was also uh, the tackle for loss leader um, in the NFL this year. Um, I also had him as well. Um, I just, you know, think between the being the sacks leader, tackle for loss leader, he had some really good, I, I was looking at some of like the analytics too. Um, you know, he had 19 QB hurries, which basically means it makes the quarterback throw the ball away earlier. Um, 26 quarterback knockdowns, which I know last year we were talking about TJ Watt for a potential play, defense player of the year. I know he probably wasn't going to win it last year, but 26 this year, which was 19 or seven more than last year when he had 19. Um, he only um, allowed a quarterback rating or passer rating of 56.2 when people threw his way, which I know he's not doing much coverage, but you know, he was getting involved there and, and you know, stopping there. Uh, he only allowed 15 receiving yards all year which is a pretty wild stat for a linebacker. I know he plays more up on the line, but he is playing that like outside linebacker position. So, um, you know, to drop back in coverage there, I think was huge and really to only allow that many yards is just shows his tackling ability and, and things of that nature. Jordan? Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, TJ Watt is just a monster. And even if you don't look at stats and you just watch film, you could tell he's the guy that's dictating what happens on that defense and he's dictating to the offense what's going to happen to them. Um, as we said, 15 sacks, unbelievable, great tackle for loss numbers. The seldom amount he is in pass coverage, he is doing a great job there. Um, we saw a decrease in the amount of forced fumbles that he got, but he was still able to generate um, near knockouts or at least fear the defense enough or fear the offense enough into carrying the ball and not necessarily fighting for more yards like they were last year against the Steelers. So um, the only other guy I can think of that could be close, obviously Aaron Donald is always close, but Xavier Howard with 10 interceptions is my close second. Um, I think he had the second lowest passer rating against him out of all cornerbacks. Um, I know some safeties had a lot lower, but safeties generally don't see as many passes their way in their area of coverage. Um, so Xavier Howard also had a great year, but I think TJ Watt for what he did at his position with the offensive lineman he faced. Uh, did a great job and is very deserving of the award this year. I thought personally he got robbed last year. Nothing against Stephon Gilmore. He was a, he was the best cornerback in the NFL next, last year, and it wasn't even close. But T.J. Watt this year should definitely win it um, over Xavier Howard. Fair point, Eric. You're the you're the odd man out here. Yeah, I'm going with everyone's vote of like Aaron Donald too. I think T.J. Watt really deserves it. I think you like guys all made great points. You know, he was an absolute beast monster this year on the defensive side. Aaron Donald has been consistent year over year over year. Um, even comparing his 2018, 2019 stats to his 2020 stats. The only thing that's really gone down is his sacks this year. Um, other than that, like he just changes the whole dynamic of the Rams defense. You see Aaron Donald on the other side, you're scared. Same thing with like Chase Young. Imagine having actually think about this guys, right? Imagine having Chase Young, Aaron Donald, you had like Chandler Jones in the back there because he's a man. <laughs> he absolutely crazy defense. But, you know, it's those little key pieces that you put on the defense, and that's what makes the Rams so good. I thought the Rams are absolutely terrible this year, but it's the defense that does it. Eric, your pizza's there. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
yeah, anyone else got anything to add? Yeah, I just want to add to the Aaron Donald point. Um, even though his sack numbers have gone down from 2018, he is just an unbelievable presence in the run and the pass. He's driving Episode 7, Eric's back. Pizza Delivery. Yes, sir. Sorry, um, oh, you're fine. Um, he drives Lyman into the backfield, um, is able to stuff the run. And if you watch in slow motion, his hand is up from the ground and he's into the opponent's neutral zone before any other defender is and before any offensive lineman is moving after the snap. So just on a film basis, he's unbelievable. Stats, you could argue like, oh, he's not that great. Like, oh, he's not as good as he once was. He's getting double teamed on 60% of the plays, which is triple the amount of any other interior defensive tackle in the league. So he is unbelievable. Definitely deserving a defensive player of the year every single year. Is probably the best player in the NFL, period. Um, but based on production and what they do for their defense and their team as a whole, I think TJ Watt is deserving of defensive player of the year. Fair point. Cool. Well, this next one, I guess we can speed it up, but this next one's pretty uneventful. We got coach of the year. Not that it's uneventful, but this guy is probably very awarding. Uh, we all have Stefanski. Uh, Eric, I know you've been a big Browns guy for, you know, the last X amount of years, three years, four years. Three, four well, years already. Three, four years, yeah. Since since they were like one in fifteen, what? Why? Why do we have? Why do we have Stefanski? Other than uh, the reason for the two back attack of Chunt. Is there any other question? He brought the Browns to paradise of the playoffs this year. Absolutely, I just can't believe they finally did it. I think we've been memeing on like the Browns for the since what like senior year of college. I think yep. just like thinking like how they could screw it up and to see what they did this year minus like OBJ was off, off the team too hard for the year. And I think that's actually what saved them on the offensive side. That could be another argument for another day, but yeah, just seeing where the, yeah. Right. It's just, I see just where the Browns have come from, from where they used to be. They're definitely a threat, um, especially that division, great division and AFC North. Uh, you got the Ravens, Steelers, Bengals. Now once Joe Burrow comes back, uh, shout out to Joe Burrow. Hope you're you're doing well, my friend. And then uh, Baker Mayfield as well too. Just like Baker's doing a great job. He had a great, phenomenal season this year. As you said, Chunt. You know, uh, those who don't know, and Kareem Hunt, great running um, tack there on the offensive side for the Browns. I think just Stefanski himself definitely made a difference. Um, but Jordan, what do you? What is your take on it? I think it's the only clear choice. Um, first playoff appearance since 2002. First playoff win since 1994. I know he didn't coach that game, but that just shows what he did coaching all year long. They had one practice before that game, and to win the playoff game convincingly the way they did um, just shows his coaching style and his coaching method that he brought to Cleveland especially with how good they did in 2018 compared to the previous two seasons and then took a big step back last year. That's almost tougher to do than to bring a team that's owned 16 into a winning record. He brought them back after regressing and put them in the playoffs and moved to the, to the divisional round and almost beat the chiefs, which is crazy to think about that. The Browns that were one of the worst teams in the NFL a couple of years back, almost beat the Chiefs, who arguably over the past three years have been the best NFL team. So to see what he did for this Browns organization and what they're going to do going forward, I think it's the only option for Coach of the Year. 
Agree. I don't yeah. really have much to add. I don't know if you have anything, Mitch. I was just going to say, like, uh, kind of with Eric's point, like, I think I've been, like, a low-key Browns fan for the past two years or three years. Like, I remember um, – like, I specifically remember watching on a Thursday night. Uh, I think the Browns played the Jets. I think it was either 2017 or 2018. 2018. Yeah. I remember st- – my friend wanted to go out. I remember being like, no, I this is pre-COVID, obviously. I was like, I want to stay and watch the Browns try to win their first game. And now they got to the point where they absolutely dominated the Steelers, right, in their first game in the playoffs. Corvette, Corvette. Corvette, Corvette, right. So, and I think the other thing, too, about Stefanski, and ter- I don't know if you, what you guys think about this, too, but, like, um, he installed such a good culture and, like, just winning, like, thing around them. I can't think of the word for it, for lack of a better term. But he wasn't even there and, like, at the game, and he was still able to, like, just sit on his couch and be stressed, I'm sure, the entire time. But, like, the his staff knew what to do. The players knew what to do. They're like, we can do, just be us from what we know what the season has brought to us and be that 11-5 team or whatever they were. So, um, he's definitely installed a winning culture there. Um, hashtag Chunt. I love it um, with them. So Chubb is just disgusting. He's such a good running back. But uh, yeah, that, he deserves Stefanski's coach of the year to me. Absolutely. Hot yeah. take. If Stefanski was um, coaching that playoff game, they beat the Chiefs, they beat the Bills, and they'd be in the Super Bowl right now. So he, they, did, he, he did coach he did against coach the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. Chiefs. But, like, he, but like he should, I think, in my opinion. He coached that first one? Won, yeah, if he coached that first one. They go into against the Chiefs. They, I think, when Patrick Mahomes got out, that fourth quarter run, uh, I think it was like eight minutes left. They didn't get to go for on fourth and six, fourth and seven. Should have went for it against the Chiefs. They were like, it was just like their best opportunity to make it to the AFC Championship game. You know, I love rooting for the underdog always, um, and I think they could have beat the Bills and they could be in the Super Bowl right now. But you know. Just that fourth fourth down play, just like uh, Green Bay. Just don't want to go for it. <laughs> and to be fair to Eric's point, um, I think Stefanski did miss the first two practices of that week leading up to the Chiefs, yeah. which doesn't sound like a big deal. But when it comes to practice time, especially in the NFL, when you get really only three practices, especially at this point in the season when it's more install rather than actually going out and hitting your teammates, that's a big deal especially for a playoff game against one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best. Yeah. Well, the world will never know. But final, final award. I'm not going to say who had who. I'll let everyone introduce it. I guess I'll kick this one off. I have Aaron Rodgers for MVP. Uh, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions, uh, 70.7% completion percentage, which is most in the league, only a 1% interception percentage uh 4,299 yards uh led the Packers to 13 and three even with Devontae Adams out for a few games they were still able to win some games uh won some tough ones along the way he definitely was a bigger part of their offense this year than he was last year uh the reason I have him uh mostly just again the record and, and the numbers but just looking at it he's won the MVP twice in the past uh 2011 was one year very similar numbers, 45 touchdowns, six interceptions, threw for a little bit more yards, 4,643. And that was with him actually sitting out the last game of the year. Uh, so he won the MVP that year at those numbers, 122 quarterback rating, 83.8 QBR. And then in 2014, which his numbers were a little bit down from that year, but still won the MVP, 4,381 yards, uh, 38 touchdowns, five interceptions, just like this year. Uh, 65.6 completion percentage. So the completion percentage is a little bit down from that year as well. Um, so in my opinion, Rogers this year was better than Rogers, maybe not in 2011, uh, but Rogers in 2014, I think he was, the record was better. 
The yards were very similar. He threw for a little bit more yards in 2014. Touchdowns were more. Interceptions were the same. Uh, completion percentage was higher. Uh, quarterback rating was higher. Uh, QBR was higher. So I just think it's it's hard to – I know we're comparing guys each year, so it's hard to compare guys on different years. But just given given it's you know normally gone to quarterbacks, I understand Eric Henry did rush for over 2,000 yards and why I think he's an offensive player of the year. Uh, winner but I just have Aaron Rodgers just because quarterback led his team to multiple wins or you know tied for the most or second most in the league so uh, I have Aaron Rodgers as my MVP Eric how about you go so we can let Mitch and uh, Jordan maybe duke it out a little bit after because I know they have differing opinions I'll definitely have Mitch take it my uh, my piece on Aaron Rodgers is this amazing quarterback I think drafting Jordan Love really lit a fire under his ass to get yeah. going they're still um, talking about that gm still running his mouth oh yeah no it's it's pretty crazy um i think aaron Rodgers just had a phenomenal years you know in doing part to Devonte adams doing part you know that whole system i mean going back to back nfc championships i think it was absolutely insane to take the ball out of aaron Rodgers' hands on a fourth on a fourth down going for like a lead in an NFC championship game going to the Super Bowl. I think that was just a huge mistake. Um, I would if I was Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you saw the video this past week, I assume all of you saw it uh, with the beer in the back of the truck. I thought that was hilarious. But like, that's what I would be doing, too. I mean, the man could have went to another Super Bowl like that is just terrible. Um, Great player in the regular season. But Mitch. I know you have so much to say about Mr. Aaron Rodgers. I know Jordan knows more. Like, that's the thing. He's been watching football way longer than me and knows way more people. Like, he's just going to give me every stat in the book. But, uh, listen, I just think I, – I know it's kind of a quarterback award, right? Like, it always kind of ended up being that way because they're, quote, quote, the leader of the team. But I just think he played out of his mind this year, like Jack was saying. Um, he's had the second-highest QB uh, uh, passer rating ever, uh, only second to himself, by the way, 121.5. Uh, like you were saying back in 2011, that's the highest one. Um, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions, like absolute beast. Every game he played, he played well too. Like I think the only, like obviously the Bucks game where they got just washed in like whatever week that was, like week five or six. Yeah, week Jack, six. My, which, which game? Or week, which week six. Uh, he was thir- 16 to 35, 45.7 completion percentage, 160 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns, four, sacked four times. Um yeah, not a. That was pretty much it. Other than that, completion okay. percentage was pretty much always above sixty percent. Otherwise, and you got to see me react live to that. And I was yes, I did. Yes, I did. It was not having fun, but uh, yeah, like it just played out of his mind this year. And like in terms of um being valuable at the position, like he just made a lot of like Devontae's huge, right? And so is Aaron Jones. They're gonna be they're massive players. Devont, I agree with Jordan that Devontae's the best receiver in the NFL, but um, like. He's making guys like what Dominique Daphne, Malik Taylor, uh, Equinemius, uh, Equestrian St. Brown, whatever his name is. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> Peter McDickerson. Like, yeah. All those guys. Seth right? McFarley, like, whatever his name is. Yeah. Exactly. Like, he's making them look really good. And that's what we said about Tom Brady, right? He made like the bad player, not bad players, right? They're obviously in the NFL. They're very talented. But like, compared to like a Devontae Adams, it's not really that close. So that's why I have him there. Like, he just makes that team light up. I think if you put like a, middling QB in there in the floor system, it might be okay, but I don't think it's the same uh, result of this year, getting to the NFC championship, getting the first uh, seed in the, NF- in the NFC. So that's me. I have reasons why I don't think Derek Henry's it too. So I'll let Jordan run through his stats and uh, kind of put me into the ground, but go ahead. That's why I think Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. 
So I will say Aaron Rodgers had an incredible season, and I'm not taking anything away from that. 48 touchdowns and five picks is an unbelievable accomplishment. I believe he also had a what a 119 passer rating, which is just absolutely yeah. absurd. Yeah. 121.5. Yeah, 121.5. I believe he had an 84 or an 86 QBR, total QBR rating. 84.3, absolutely unreal. Um, So I don't want to take anything away from that. He definitely played the role that he was supposed to play and lit up the league. My pick for MVP, however, is Derrick Henry. And I have a couple of reasons for this. I'm not going to take up too much of anyone's time. But he had the fifth most rushing yards all time in a season with 2,027. That's and that's a lot of yards. And he carried the ball 378 times, which is a lot of carries. But even with that amount of carries, had 5.4 yards of carry and 17 total touchdowns, all on the ground, nothing through the air. He had 119 yards through the air on I think like 14. 50 catches. of those were on one play too. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, literally. Um, so if we look at the other four running backs that are ahead of him. Uh, Eric Dickerson has the most yards ever in a season with 2,105. Uh, he had 5.6 yards of carry and 14 touchdowns all on the ground. And that was this was in 1984. He lost the MVP to Dan Marino, very understandably. Uh, Dan Marino was the first quarterback ever to throw for over 5,000 yards, and that wouldn't happen again until Breeze did it in 2011. And Brady. Um, and Brady. And Stafford. That's right. Yes. Um then he also had 48 touchdowns that year and the previous record was 36 by George Blanda. So that just shows he absolutely crushed the touchdown record and threw for more yards than anyone had ever seen before. So he 100% deserved MVP that year, especially when it was a non-passing league and he was the first real passing quarterback along with Joe Montana. Um, 2012, Adrian Peterson had 2,097 yards, six yards per carry, 12 rushing touchdowns and one receiving touchdown, and he won the MVP. That same season, Drew Brees threw for 5,177 yards. That was the year after he broke the then passing yard record. 43 total touchdowns. He did throw 19 interceptions, which I'll get into why in a second. Um, Actually, I'll get into right now. That was because he had the worst defense in the league. This was the year right after Bounty Gate with the saints. If you don't know what that is, uh, basically the saints were awarding players money bonuses for going out and making big hits on players, either after the whistle or during a play and just making it a dirty hit. Uh, if you look up the Steven Smith hit in the end zone against the saints in 2010, 2011, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so he was forced to pass a lot more. His best running back that year was Mark Ingram, who only had 600 yards. He didn't have great receivers. Uh, Marquez Colston was at the end of his career, and his offensive line wasn't great either. Um, so even with all that being said, Drew Brees doesn't win MVP. Adrian Peterson does. And Adrian Peterson had an awesome year, came off an ACL tear in week 16, and absolutely lit it up. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, too, Peterson did lead the Vikings to the – like they were – like a 10 and 16, I want to say they snuck in that last week. I think they beat Green Bay to get in they as beat like Green the sixth Bay. seed and they lost to Green Bay the next week, but that obviously. And to, yeah. And to note, they had Christian Ponder as their quarterback. Yeah. I'm pretty uh, sure Joe Webb started their playoff game too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Who was who transitioned to a wide receiver pretty much after that year. Jordan, do you think Derrick Henry would be as effective in the AFC? in another division compared to the AFC South. Cause just looking at the games this year in the AFC South, he had over, 
it was like 1,042 yards this year. Most of his yards um, were against the Texans and the Jaguars. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. the Colts defense had a pretty good defense, but overall, uh, awesome, we know man. how um, Jacksonville and Houston did this year. So do you think yes. he just, you know, ran against bad defenses? And that's what made him look good compared to Aaron Rodgers, so, you know, played competent teams? So I actually want to actually break uh, – I actually, actually, what the fuck am I saying? Um, I want to break that down to what types of defenses each team played. So Aaron Rodgers, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Um, I know I sent them to Mitch and I sent them to Eric, but I don't have them right in front of me. But after I broke everything down, Derrick Henry, per position, played against four more games against the tougher defense uh, than what Aaron Rodgers faced. I believe the numbers were Derrick Henry faced eight teams in the top 12 for rushing defense and only uh, four teams in the bottom five for rushing defense, where Aaron Rodgers played 10 games, or no, excuse me, six games against the bottom five pass defense and only two games against the top uh, 10 passing defense. So that just shows that Derrick Henry year long played against tougher competition than what Aaron Rodgers faced, despite for those games being against the Jaguars and the Texans collectively, those two of those games offset because they played the Colts who had the second best rush defense in the league. And if you take away those two games yards per game wise, the Colts almost have a, the same rushing defense that the Bucks have who has the best rush defense in the league. Um, so for those, that's another reason why I think Derrick Henry should be MVP. But breaking down again, the other guys that won MVP, 2003, uh, Jamal Lewis, 2066 yards, which is still the third most all-time in the season, 5.3 yards a carry, and 14 touchdowns all on the ground. He lost the MVP to Peyton Manning and Steve McNair. Let's hear their stats. Peyton Manning. Steve McNair. Yes, recipe Steve McNair, unbelievable quarterback. But that same season, 2003. 4,267 pass yards, 29 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and a 99 passer rating. Steve McNair, 3,215 yards, 24 touchdowns, and seven picks, and 100.4 pass rating in 14 games. You're going to tell me a running back who had the third best season rushing all time loses to two quarterbacks who had good seasons, but nothing spectacular. That's just, to me, that makes no sense. Um, then lastly, 1997, Barry Sanders had 2,500, or excuse me, 2,053 yards, 6.1 yards of carry, 11 rushing TDs, and three receiving TDs. He won the MVP and split it with Brett Favre, who had 3,867 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 16 interceptions with a 92.6 passer rating. And he also had the seventh highest interception percentage in the league at a 3.1. Uh, that means 3.7. 3.1% of his throws, he's throwing an interception, which is pretty high. Um, so the fact that Brett, that was a split award makes no sense to me. And this just shows it is a quarterback award. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers isn't going to win it. I believe he is going to win it. But if I was the sole deciding factor, it would be Derrick Henry. If you had a vote, you would vote for Derrick Henry. Yes, I would I would vote for Derrick okay. Henry if I, was, if I was on the Associated Press. Um, so this is going to be my last point. Derrick Henry had the 15th best offensive line and the 28th best defense, which is basically the fifth worst defense. That offense had Ryan Tannehill, John Smith, AJ Brown, and Corey Davis, who had a great year. Uh, He was awful his first four years, but had a very good season this year. Aaron Rodgers had the second best offensive line, the ninth best defense overall, 
uh, the best receiver in the league, top five tight end, Robert Tunyon. No one's going to argue that he is a top five tight end right now. Aaron Jones, top five running back. Um, and obviously, like I said, second best offensive line, two first team all pro offensive linemen. Um, you can argue that Elton Jenkins should have been also on the all pro first team. Um, so that just shows that Aaron Rodgers had a lot of weapons to work with him. And he had a defense to back him up to keep him on the field longer and put up those stats. Derrick Henry had an awful defense, which when you have an awful defense, you're going to pass more. Uh, statistically, in the NFL teams with bad defenses pass more because they're on the field less and they need to score quicker. And he still put up the best yards or, or the fifth most yards ever in a season with a middle tier offensive line. You take Derrick Henry away. The Titans are not the same team. You take Aaron Rodgers away, Jordan Love will probably do a decent job because he has a solid running game to work with, the best wide receiver to work with, and a top five tight end. It's To me, it's no argument. Derrick Henry is the clear-cut MVP for the 2020 season. We will see on Saturday. My whole thing is just like the division he plays, like Eric was saying. Like, he uh, – like, oh, I had it written down before, but like 1,000 yards or so in just his division alone. Yeah, like, he had- Sorry, go ahead. He, well, I, like I was saying, he had three of his 200-yard games against Jaguars and two against the Texans. Yeah. So and the other thing too about like just how the Titans play, I don't think they really like. I didn't watch a lot of Titans games, but I just don't ever think they go into pass mode, right? Like AJ Brown isn't somebody who's going to get like 14 targets a game like Devontae might get, like uh, like you know Aaron Rodgers might throw. Like uh, I had it written down here. Like, uh, let's see. Just in terms of attempts, he had 378 rushing attempts, even when they're down, like Jordan was saying. Dalvin Cook got 312. And just to give you an idea, other idea about that, Josh Jacobs had 273. So he had 100 more attempts than another workhorse running back, right? So they only run the ball through him, and obviously you're going to give it to your best player, right? That's the whole point of having that guy. You're going to give him all the volume. But in my opinion, like Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill had, I think, the highest QBR last year. Didn't drop off a lot this year. Still was a really good uh, passer. AJ Brown's really good. Corey Davis is good. Like, I think if they even had, like, kind of Jordan saying, like a middle-of-the-pack uh, player at that position, I still think they'd do pretty well. Versus, like, if Aaron, like if Jordan Love played, I don't think they'd have the same success. Definitely not 13-3, and three in my opinion. Probably somewhere around, like, 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and because I think LaFleur is a great coach. But that's just where I stand with it and why I think Derrick Henry absolutely is, like I said, offensive player of the year to me. But he's just not MVP. So I want to go back to the point about you said conferences that they play in and who they play in the conference. Um, I agree that the run defense of the Jaguars in Houston is god awful. Yeah. But couldn't we say the same about the Lions, uh, Vikings, and Bears pass defense? Because the Lions had the third worst pass defense, Vikings had the eighth worst pass defense, and the Bears aren't even top ten in the league in pass defense. Where the Colts were the second best rushing defense, and then obviously the uh, the Jaguars and Texans were near the bottom. But it's almost the same in that comparison. So in that point, they're seeing the same sort of defenses in their own conference. You take the conference games away, Derrick Henry's playing a tougher schedule against the run than what Aaron Rodgers is against the pass. So that's that's one of my reasons why I think Derrick Henry should be the guy moving forward. And I do agree with you. The Titans are a run first team. They, they ran more than any other team. I think 61% of the time they were running. Mm-hmm. But my point is they're running that much given they have a, a middle-tier offensive line and one of the worst defenses in the league. That never happens in the NFL. 
NFL. And the fact they were able to do that and do what they did on the ground just shows how good Derrick Henry is and that he's more valuable to his team than Aaron Rodgers is. And that's the name of the award, the most valuable player. You take Aaron Rodgers away, he's valuable to that team. But is he more valuable than Derrick Henry is to the Titans? I don't think so. I think we should move on because we have been on this topic for an hour and the biggest game of the year is this upcoming week. So I don't want to keep these poor listeners. I think we both bring up great points. I think it is going to be Aaron Rodgers. No, I'm just kidding, but it'll, it'll be, it'll (laughs) be, I can't think we all have a feeling he's, he's the betting favorite right now, but let's go to the Super Bowl. I think, I think that's more exciting. No offense to none of these guys, but none of these guys are actually playing in the Super Bowl. The only guy we mentioned recently that was playing in the Super Bowl is Travis Kelsey. So uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> shout out, Eric. Um, so, yeah. So basically how we're going to break down the Super Bowl, we all just to, for sake of time, we all have our keys to the game and then our picks. Um, we don't want to waste anyone's time. We just waste, not nah, say waste an hour, but we just went over <laughs> awards for an hour. Yeah, um, so let's Oops. go. Let's, let's let our, game, let's let our, but Hey, that's what happens when you have no script. Let's let our guests go first talk about what they brought to the table, what their keys to the game are. I don't know if Mitch, if you want to start, maybe let's go, let's go by team. So Mitch, if you want to start with the chiefs, then Eric head to the chiefs, Jordan, and I will go chiefs and then we'll head into the bucks. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know what he said today, but I was listening to George Kittle talk on rich eyes in a little bit today. And obviously the 49ers played the chiefs last year. And they said, I think he asked him, what's the key to beating the chiefs. It's like, drop 40, like just try to score as much as possible because that offense is just so explosive. So my key to the game is just kind of like do what you do. Like don't get lazy. I felt like halfway through the season or like through the middle, like the Chiefs started to just kind of like simmer down a little bit from what they are capable of doing. Like when they played the Falcons, I think that one time they only scored like 17 or a very low score, yeah. whatever it was. When, and then they played the, the Bills and they were down nine and all of a sudden they scored 38 and then – you know, there's no shot of them winning that game or the Bills winning that game. So the Chiefs are, have all the firepower in the world. We have Eric who's tr- uh, staying true to Travis Kelsey as a weapon there, Tyree Kill. Miko Hardman showed what he can do as well. And also, um, I think Demarcus Robinson might be out with COVID. He's or, quite, yeah, he has. He's on the list, but there's, that whole we'll team back Like they, yeah. they're all fast. They can all get the thing, they get the job done. Andy Reid off a of bye is incredible. So. I just think that offense just going to do what they can do. Um, not a lot of depth there, but you know they're just inc- they're just an incredible team or offense. Ewick? for the Chiefs, I would say keep on the gas always. Just like Mitch said, we noticed where you know it didn't seem like they were firing all on all cylinders like we know that they can do. Um, and then just stay away from turnovers. Uh, the Bucks have a great defense. Uh, we can see what they can do when they get the ball turned over. And just keep, you know, doing what you're doing. Keep Patrick Mahomes mobile, getting it to your guys, getting them downfield. And the Chiefs defense just got to hold Tom Brady. Jordan? Oh, Jordan, I was on mute. on mute. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I was. My bad. Um, for the Chiefs, it's going to be getting the run game going. Bucks know they can pass. They're going to be gearing up against the pass. If you want to beat the Bucks, who have the best run defense in the league, you have to run the ball. That's what this game is going to come down to. It's getting Clyde Edwards-Alaire back on his feet. Was dominant early in the year. Hasn't been the same since and is still dealing with that injury a little bit. But he's going to be the guy that's going to be a difference maker in this game. If he's not good to go and this run defense or this running offense doesn't get going, the Chiefs aren't going to be able to pass. But how effectively are they going to be able to pass? And we'll see that on Sunday. 
All right, you guys ready for my stats? Because you all know I'm the stats guy. Statapillar here. Got it. Play it, Avi. All right. So. Statapillar. <laughs> Statapillar. Oh, that's a good nickname. All right. So I said this on Sliced Apples, too. If anyone listens to Sliced Apples, like I said, shout out Cowboy Canella and our boy Alex. Um, my key for the Chiefs is their red zone defense. Uh, Jordan, take a wild guess. What uh, percentage of the time did Chiefs, the Chiefs defense in the regular season give up a touchdown when in the red zone or when opposing offenses I'm, were in the red zone? I'm going to say like 63, 64% of the time. Solid guess. 76.6. Highest in the NFL. Now, granted, they only they had one of the lower uh, times they let teams into the red zone, 47 times. It was 36 of 47. Um, but that was the highest percentage in the NFL. The Bucks in the regular season were 68.9% at scoring touchdowns in the red zone, 42 of 61, good enough for seventh in the NFL. Uh, a stat that I saw on Twitter, and actually that a lot of people have been throwing out there recently, Brady, including the playoffs this year, 36 touchdowns, zero interceptions went in the red zone. So that's going to be huge. I think Brady and both games against the the Bucks or against the Bucks against the Saints and the Packers um, were huge. So I have the stats from the playoffs as well. So the Chiefs uh, against the Browns gave up two touchdowns on two red zone possessions of the Browns. Uh, against the Bills, though, only two of five. So they, they stopped them three times. One of those possessions, too, that they did give up a touchdown was the McCole Hardman fumble. So tough fumble there. Um, really, though, in the playoffs, only at 57.1%, which is you know definitely a lot better. Bucks in the playoffs, though. This is a key for them, too. But uh, this is my Chiefs key. They, the Bucks were only one of five against Washington. Uh, only three of six against New Orleans, but then two of two against Green Bay. So in the playoffs, the Bucks are only at 46.1% scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So that defense for the Chiefs, if they can keep the Bucks at that 46%, I think, you know, it, it's going to be tough because you see how fast Mahomes can go down the field. You know the Chiefs are going to score score points. No matter how good that Bucks defense is, Mahomes is going to do what he's going to do. Tyreek's going to get open. Kelsey's going to get open. So I think that red zone defense, when they get them down there, um, if you're the Chiefs, you need to stop them there because Brady's dangerous there. He's got Mike Evans. He's got Cameron Brate. He's got Gronk. He's got playoff Lenny. He's got Rojo. He's got Godwin. He's got AB back. They need to stop him. That's that's really the key for, for I think, for the Chiefs to win. Mm-hmm. Defense. Good. Defense wins championships. All right. Anyone got anything else on the Chiefs they want to share? All good. Cool. Well. Love it. Let's go. Uh Eric, kick it off with your key for the Bucks. Defense wins championships. Keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. Don't let him run around. We see what Patrick Mahomes can do, make plays. Um, he just – the man just moves and something magically just occurs. It was several times in the last games the Chiefs played that Patrick Mahomes easily could have been sacked. He just – just maneuver someone and it's just like what like how how does this happen um another key for the bucks is stay i always say it every year when tom brady is in the super bowl stay away from that bs play in the last two minutes with tom brady in the super bowl i don't care you can talk about the giants games with those two phenomenal catches you can talk about the falcons right at the end of the game there there's just something that's going to happen in the last two minutes. I'm calling it right now. Some kind of weird catch or a penalty. And everyone's going to be up in arms about it because it's whoever's going to have the ball last that's going to win the game. You have Tom Brady within two minutes. You have Patrick Holmes. You can see Patrick Holmes score like a touchdown in like 30 seconds. Tom Brady would take his time, go for it. Um, but like I said, defense wins championships. 
if you hold uh, Mahomes, if you hold uh, Kelsey, if you hold Hill, bold prediction, watch Sammy Watkins have the game of his life. <laughs> Something crazy will happen. Um, but that's plays. my – if he plays, right? Yeah. If he plays. That would be pretty wild, but we'll see. We'll see. Mitch? Yeah. Um, so, for me, it's pretty much the same thing. Defense wins championships, right? Like, you got to get Mahomes off the field. I'm going to try to get to him. JPP and uh, Shaq Barrett have their work cut out for them. Uh, you know, you thought Mahomes had that turf toe, quote-unquote, injury and seemed pretty fine, pretty mobile running uh, last game. So, for me, it's going to be just shutting them down on the run game and just, like, throughout the air, right? So, I don't think Clyde's going to have that good of a game, personally. Like, I know Jordan said a key for them is to establish the run. I just – like, Vita Vey up the middle, like, he just shut down Aaron Jones, who I think is a huge running back. Not huge in terms of size, but, like, a great running back in terms of yards per carry. Clyde, like, as I wa- – trust me, you guys you guys know me. I've watched a lot of uh, uh, CEH's games throughout the year. Just, like, when he has a tough run defense, he doesn't do very well. I don't have the yards per carry what they had last game against him, but I don't think it was very good. So him, Le'Veon, and uh, is it Daryl Williams? Yeah, Daryl Williams. They got to get that going. Uh, but the Bucks, you know, if they, if they can stop the run, that's going to be huge. They're going to have to pass way more. Of course, you got Tyreek and Travis Kelsey to be, you know, huge threats and worry about them. But, like, if you can shut down at least one phase of that game, you know, one phase of that offense, it's going to be huge. So for them to stop the run um, and go after – and plus with, like, getting to the quarterback, I had the names written down. It was, like, uh, Mitchell Schwartz is out. Eric Fisher's out. I think Olen, oh, I forgot the name, Olenum Hugh or something like that. He's the other O lineman that was out. So like none of them. Jordan, you know all the O linemen. Yeah, John, Jordan. Do you know the name of that one? Omenihu? Maybe. Are oh, you muted? <laughs> oh, I am, of course. Um, they had Eric Fisher at left tackle, Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle, um, Austin, uh, their center, or Austin, yeah, Austin Wright is still their center. Um, Andrew Wiley's moving to right tackle for this game. I forget. You're talking about the left guard. I can't remember who it is. But I just Lauren, really good. Jansen? Yeah, Lauren, Lauren Duvernay-Tardif is oh, wait, has not played this season because of COVID. Um, so my whole thing is like, you know, it's going to be easier to get to Mahomes because none of their st- like star starting or linemen are going to be in. So should be a little bit easier for them. But, yeah, stop the run and just, like, try to shut them down as you can on defense. Lowby. Yeah. Let's see it. I think the key to this game, stopping Tyreek Hill. Because let's put it this way. Had over 200 yards in the first quarter when they played earlier this year. Finished with 13 catches, 269 yards, and three touchdowns. The score of that game was 27-24. If they stop Tyreek Hill on one of those touchdowns and they stall one of those drives, the Bucks can easily win that game. Travis Kelsey is going to go off. That's a given. I think he only had three games this year with less than 70 yards. Tyreek had six games with less than 70 yards. Tyreek had much bigger ceiling games than what Travis Kelsey had, but Travis Kelsey is definitely going to go off. If you stop Tyreek Hill, you have a much bigger chance of winning this game. And for the Bucs, if they stop Tyreek Hill, they, they could very easily win the Super Bowl. I like it. Who's ready for more stats? More stats. Stats. Let's go. Right. Stat pillar. Right. Shout, shout out to uh, Eric and I, stats professor. In case he's listening, shout out WV. I'm not going to throw out his real name. <laughs> Beer and Beer burger, burger money. money. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So my my key for the Bucks uh, is to run the ball. Playoff Lenny. We need playoff Lenny and Rojo. They need to run the ball, pound the rock. 
stats here. All right. In the regular season, the Bucks were six and one when they rushed for over a hundred yards. Only loss was to that to the Bears uh, on Thursday night football. Um, when they were under a hundred yards, they were five and four in the season, regular season. Uh, in the playoffs, they've only actually had one game um, where they rushed for under a hundred yards. Um, or no, sorry. No, in the playoffs, yeah, only one game where they rushed for under 100. They rushed for over 100, both against Washington and the Saints. Um, and in the regular season, they rushed for under 100 against under 100 against the Bucks, only for 75 yards. Sorry, against the Chiefs. I'm getting it all mixed up here. Eric's talking about beer and burger money behind my back. So, basically, long story short. Bucks are six and one in the regular season when rushing for over a hundred yards against the chiefs. They ran for under a hundred yards earlier this season, 75 yards for the bucks passing game. The reason I'm not saying the passing game is the key. Same thing. When the bucks threw for over 300 yards, they were six and one in the regular season, five and four went under 300 yards in the playoffs. The only had one game where they were over 300 yards against Washington against the uh, saints. I want to say Brady only had like a hundred and something yards Packers. They were close. They were teetering. I think they were around 275. All right. The reason I say that the rush defense is key is because is because you ready for this one drum roll. The one game that the bucks lost where they threw for over 300 yards this year was to the chiefs. So they need to run the ball. They need to pound the rock, run the ball, keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. That's really the, that's really the key. They need to keep the ball out of his hands. We know we, you say it with MVP quarterbacks all the time, not saying Mahomes going to win the MVP this year. That's a different debate. But they need to keep it out of his hands. They need to run the ball. They need to win the time of possession. They didn't do it against the Packers. I know they were able to figure it out. They had, obviously, a few turnovers. Same with the Saints. They had a few turnovers in that game that were huge. But against this Chiefs team, they need to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. They need to run the clock. They need to pound the ball and they need to dominate the time of possession because we all know how quickly the Chiefs can go down. We know how big one play, one play, one play. is in the Super Bowl. So I, one think, play. I think it's huge for the for the Bucks if they can get playoff Lenny and Rojo. But use both of them. I think obviously we expect a lot of playoff Lenny now, but I think if they can get Ronald Jones involved too, it's going to be huge. I agree. Love Always. that pick. Anyone else got any final takes on the Super Bowl? Anything they wanted to add? Anything they wanted to throw out there? I knew Eric threw out his BS play. Happens every time, man. Over under Terry Kill, 120 receiving yards. Under. Under? Over. I'm going to go under. Okay. Who has the bigger game, Kelsey or Gronk? Kelsey. Kelsey. Gronk. Ooh. I think Kelsey's like manufacturing. We're talking like fantasy points. Or are we talking like receptions and catches? <laughs> we're talking fantasy points. I'm feeling. I'm feeling a Gronk. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna go Gronk gets a touchdown and Kelsey doesn't. But I think Kelsey will definitely have more receiving yards and catches. This Surprise is factor hard. of the game. Surprise factor of the game. Antoine yeah. Winfield Chiefs gets an interception. Line. Ooh, I like that. Ooh. Chiefs offensive line. Uh, I don't have one. Remember the I Pats offensive line in 07? That basically gave cost yeah. them that game. Yep. Uh, also, uh, what color will the Gatorade be on the winning coach? Ooh, blue. Both teams are red. I'm going red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the classic yellow. Classic yellow, I yeah. like it. I think they'll have the uh, the Glacier Freeze Gatorade in one of them, and they'll Ooh. dump uh, a coach to be named There's after like we odds. trivia. There's like odds and all this stuff, too, like of like, yeah. who's going to do what, who's going to score first. Heads or tails? Um, I'm going heads. You should have put that as a prop. That'd be yeah. fun. Cool. 
All right. So before we go into our, our game picks, uh, I have a little bit of trivia. So I wanted to say we're probably going to start doing this at the end of each podcast, but Mitch and Eric are hopping off after this um, before we hop into some NBA stuff. But basically uh, everyone was giving me positive feedback on the age game. I got, I got some positive responses, Eric included from that we did with the NBA last week. And that was kind of an on the fly thing. So this time I prepared some questions, shout out to CBS sports uh, for these questions. There is a website they have 54 questions listed for all the 54 previous Super Bowls. Uh, but I will let everybody play along with home or at home. These are multiple choice questions. All right. First question. Super Bowl 22. Ready? This was a historic Super Bowl that included the first black starting quarterback to win a Super Bowl, Doug Williams, and Timmy Smith's Super Bowl record 204 rushing yards. Washington also set a playoff record by scoring how many points in the second quarter of their 42 to 10 win? A, 42, B, 35, C, 28, or D, 24. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. And it's going to be a very quick 10 seconds. Let's go more like five seconds. Jordan. I got D, 24. Mitch. Uh, I'm going to go 35. Eric. I was going to go for 24 as well. Answer is B, 35. Mitch is right. Wow. And for those of you listening on 1.5 speed, what I did last time when we did five seconds, I, I listened after. I'm like, I did not give everyone five seconds. Then I realized I was listening on a faster speed. So don't be, don't, don't kill the messenger. All right. So Mitch is, Mitch is one and all. All right. Two more. Super Bowl 36. Patriots Rams, 2001, 2002. In New England's 20-17 to 17 upset over the St. Louis Rams, Tom Brady threw an eight-yard touchdown pass to David Patton. Besides Brady's first Super Bowl touchdown pass, what else was significant about this play? A, it was the only touchdown pass allowed by the Rams in that postseason. B, it gave the Patriots the lead for good. C, it was Patton's first career catch. Or D, it was Brady's first career postseason touchdown pass. I'm going to give you all 10 seconds to think. More like seven seconds. Jordan. Uh, I'm going to go with that was Patton's first catch. Mitch. Same thing. That sounds too absurd. Eric. I was going to say the same. <laughs> you are all wrong. What? It was Brady's first career postseason touchdown pass. People forget he didn't throw one in the in the tuck rule game. They only scored one touchdown. They scored a rushing touchdown. And then in that Steelers game on the AFC Championship, he actually got hurt and Bledsoe had to come in and release That's him. That's right. So oh, that was his first That's touchdown crazy. pass. All Dude, right. I was trying to remember something from like, what, when we were like five? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, last one. Super Bowl 45, Steelers and Packers. Aaron Rodgers is first and only Super Bowl. Uh, and this had some actually current players. Antonio Brown did play in that game. Um, David McClendon was, was a player. He was inactive for that game. But there is some former players there. So, with a 31-25 win over the Steelers, the Packers joined the Giants and Washington as the only NFL franchises to do which of the following? A, win multiple Super Bowls as the underdog. B, win Super Bowls as a wildcard team. C, win a Super Bowl with three different starting quarterbacks. Or D, play in a Super Bowl in three different decades. Let's go. Give you guys seven seconds. Can you repeat who the three teams were in that question? Yes. So uh, Green Bay won the Super Bowl over the Steelers, and the other two teams were the Giants and Washington. Okay. 
All right. So A, multiple Super Bowl, uh, multiple Super Bowls as underdog. B, win the Super Bowl as a wild card team. C, win a Super Bowl with three different starting quarterbacks. Or D, play in a Super Bowl in three different decades. Uh, Eric. Different decades. Mitch. I'm gonna go wild card. So I think the Giants won as a wild card once. They did. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Quick clarification. Is it multiple times winning as a wild card or just winning the Super Bowl? Winning as a wild the Super card Bowl after? as a wild card. I'm going to go with the underdog. You are all wrong again. It is C. Win a Super Bowl with three starting, with three different starting quarterbacks. What? Favre, I think. Uh, what's the guy from the 60s? Star. They don't actually yeah. ask the quarterbacks. Our star and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah, I, I actually. So I, I took this. That. I got, the, <laughs> I got the first two right. I was happy about that when I took this. And like I said, there's 54 on CBS.com. This one I got wrong. I thought it was the wild card one as well. Um, but still yeah. one though. Yeah. One so Mitch won. Mitch won. One nothing. Zero. Sometimes nobody shows up. <laughs> well, wow. Mitch and, and I'm Eric. the big football brain, and I got I know, nothing right? right. I know. And I'm the almanac. <laughs> Uh, so, Mitch and Eric, what are you guys' picks for the Super Bowl? Um, so, I'll, I'll go first, I guess. I just think the Chiefs are going to win. They're too explosive. Like, it's hard to get a bet against Tom Brady, but the Chiefs are just, to me, the more talented team. And there's, they're just incredible. Again, Andy Rudolph will buy is like 26-4 and four or some crazy style like that. So, I'm just going to go Chiefs. Did you have a score? Did you say a score? Oh, um. I'll tell you mine in a second. I gotta scroll down to it. Uh, it was thirty-one. Tw- I have thirty-one twenty-seven. Chiefs. Eric, uh, I think the Chiefs got this one. Like I said, there's gonna be some kind of BS play in the last two minutes, and then because of that play, there's gonna be a nice little field goal, and I think the Chiefs gonna win thirty-one uh, to thirty. Jordan. I'm not gonna say anything else about the game. But the Bucks are going to have the ball in the five-yard line going in. They need a touchdown to win. It's going to be Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the left side. Evans is going to run a quick stutter stance slant rub route. Godwin's going to run an out route into the end zone right at the front pylon. The rub's going to work perfectly. The DB is going to mesh together. And Godwin's going to drop it as time expires, giving the Chiefs a 35-31 win. Scotty Miller. I was gonna say you listen to my my red zone defense. Should be bad rub. Well, that just leaves me. And for, you, those of, for those of you at home, uh, I'm wearing my Brady jersey because I think he's gonna win his seventh Super Bowl. I got Bucks 27-24. I think they're gonna have to score a touchdown late. He's not gonna be able to be bailed out by his kicker this time. I think they're gonna score a touchdown late, put him ahead, um, and Brady's gonna have his seventh, and he's gonna have more than any other team on his own. I really hope it happens. As yeah. much as I think the Chiefs can win, I really hope that it happens. Well, any any awesome. final final words from Mitch or Eric? Uh, no, I'm really excited for the game. Like uh, some people were debating, this is like potentially one of the best QB matchups in the Super Bowl. Um, it is actually. Goat versus GBR baby wise, goat. Yeah. yeah. Goat versus baby goat. Oh, way too early to say that. Yeah. Baby goat, uh, baby goat, baby goat. That whole debate about if um. Mahomes loses and can he catch Brady is I think a great debate so you guys probably have later on but yeah um, maybe maybe next episode after whatever happens happens thank you so much for having us yeah Uh, really appreciate it boys you guys have a great podcast hashtag get rod yes get rod on the pod loved it get rod on the pod
All right, boys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Jordan thank and I, you, boys, for hopping on. Yeah. Jordan and I are still going to be doing our coverage of NBA, MLB. We'll talk about the Stafford trade real quick. But uh, thank you guys so much for hopping on. We really appreciate it. For sure. Talk First ever guests. First thank ever guests. Have a good one, fellows. Hey, boys. Thank you so much, Mitch and Eric, for joining us. Uh, two great friends of ours. Uh, never really met them before. No, just kidding. I've known them for five years now. So uh, we'll kind of just get right into to the nitty-gritty. Jordan, what did you think of the Stafford trade? That was wild. <laughs> I, out of all places for Stafford to go, uh, I expected the Rams the least. But McVay is in a Super Bowl now mood. He does not care about who wins or loses the trade in the long run. He wants to win a Super Bowl, and if there's any coach that can do it, it's McVay with Stafford. Something I saw on Next Gen Stats, um, Stafford was the second-best quarterback in play action last year on an efficiency rating, and the Rams the past four seasons have had a top-three play action offense. So I think getting the play action in there with a quarterback like Stafford, who is very good and has just never had a full, talented team around him, Rams are easily a Super Bowl uh, contender with Stafford going to L.A. I agree. Um, I I really just agree with that. I think they are more of a a solidified Super Bowl contender now, especially with that defense, with that coaching staff. Uh, Interesting that uh, Stafford said he didn't want to come to New England. I think that may have been strictly Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia's presence here, which is kind of unfortunate and shows him as a coach, but or as a head coach, I should say. Uh, I think I said it when this first happened. I think this is Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl win or bust for the Rams because you saw they could get there with Goff as their quarterback. They had one of the best defenses this year. Goff wasn't injured. You know, who knows? Maybe it was a little bit, it could be a little bit different, but I I really think it is. You're giving up two first round picks um, and your third round pick this year and your, your, first overhaul pick from a few years ago for a guy that you believe can, can win you that championship. Would you, would you agree with that Jordan or? Yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, I mean, the Rams destroyed the Seahawks in the, in the wild card round. Um, if Goff is healthy, they probably put up a fight against the Packers, but the Packers just a very balanced team. I think if you put in Matt Stafford though, against the Packers, I think Stafford has a day and that could easily be a win for the Rams and we're talking Rams uh, Chiefs in the Super Bowl instead of Rams uh, or instead of Bucks Chiefs for the Super Bowl. Um, I've always thought Stafford is a top 10 QB consistently throughout the league since he got in. He's just never had guys. If you think about his talent, he's his only good running back he's ever had was carry on Johnson. And he was the first lines running back to eclipse a thousand yards. And I think since Barry Sanders, um, Calvin Johnson, obviously one of the best producing receivers in NFL history. Um, but since then has not really had a guy. Golden Tate was really good for him for a while. Marvin Jones came in and surprised. Kenny Galladay, when healthy, is a very good wide receiver. But other than that, he really hasn't had weapons. And that defense has been trashed the past couple of years as well, right when you kind of need Stafford to start producing. So, um, I think Stafford to the Rams with the number one defense with a very good offense blueprint uh, in place. This is a very big move for the Rams and they're easily a top 14 next year, if not a Super Bowl winner next year. Absolutely. No, I agree. I think, I think they're going to be right up there with the Seahawks. I think they may have passed them now for the, that division crown or favorites in the division. So it'll be interesting see what moves are made in the off season as well with other teams, but uh, definitely, definitely interesting there um, in terms of, uh, in terms of teams, uh, Deshaun Watson 
uh, asking for the trade, officially requesting it. I know we don't want to spend too much time on because I feel like this is going to be a good storyline all offseason, but where do you think where do you think he ends up or where do you think is a good fit? I know you mentioned on sliced apples. Mm-hmm. Uh, two places I think are fit are the Jets and the 49ers. I think the 49ers, it'd be silly for them to give up Jimmy G um, just to bring Deshaun Watson in. They already have a great blueprint in place. They went to the Super Bowl two years ago. So I don't think they get rid of Jimmy G, but I think the Jets is an awesome, um, is an awesome move. I think they have the capital to make the move. They have the players in place to make the move. Um, obviously they, they're going to have to give up one of their first round picks, if not both to get Watson this year, but if they only have to give up the first and they send Sam Darnold there or someone else, um, I think that with that other pick, they can get a good running back. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, um, one of those guys will be there for them. Um, so I think if they get a good running back in the draft and then they bring in Watson, that offense is starting to look really good. They got Mekhi Becton, who was one of the best offensive linemen in the league last year as a rookie, too. Um, then you got Denzel Mims, who was hurt most of last year, but when he played, showed he could be good. Jameson Crowder surprised a lot of people in a lot of games. Uh, they just got to get one more good receiver, and that offense is pretty much set. And then even on the defense, two years ago, granted, Jamal Adams was the only real different part, that defense was top five in most games. Uh, last year, obviously, they took a step back, didn't have as great of a pass rush, and were terrible in coverage. But they also played a much tougher schedule than they did the year before. So I think with Robert Sala in there and his defensive mind, he brings in a good offensive coordinator. They get Deshaun Watson. Jets can definitely be a contender in the AFC East. Yeah, I I think the Jets would be a good fit I I think the Dolphins are a better fit though uh, I just think floor with Flores and just kind of the the team that they've built wide receiver weapons cap space they have um, the culture they've built there I think is just would be a good fit for Watson not that Sal is not going to build a good culture but it's still you know a coach's first year um, with a team that's had a history of, of kind of toxic environments where the Dolphins are more so you know kind of getting into that stable um, you know, you, you kind of want to see what's going forward with them and, and kind of, you know, what you're going to get. I know they kind of went from five and 11 to 10 and six. They haven't had too many winning seasons consecutively, but getting, getting in part of that culture, I think is huge for Watson. Yeah. And another team I want to throw in there that I talked about on slice apples, I believe Alex brought it up was, uh, the Broncos are a very, uh, attractive team to go to yeah. because they have a very good defense in place. Um, hopefully Von Miller comes back. We'll see what they do with him. Um, if they bring Garrett Bowles, uh, Garrett Bowles back, that offensive line is solidified. You got Cortland Sutton coming back from injury. Jerry Judy, who was awesome in the second half of the season. Noah Fant, who's a very good tight end. And a pretty formidable rushing attack, no matter who you bring back between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. Um, I don't think you bring both back. I think that's bad. But either one of them by themselves in an offense, I think is really good. So if you bring Deshaun Watson in, you give up your first-round pick. Maybe they trade Von Miller to give them some defensive prowess. Um, they got some DBs they could get rid of, like Bryce Callahan, who was one of the best corners in the league this year. Um, you know, that could help, and that could be part of the capital they bring over. And the Broncos have pretty good cap space to be able to handle Deshaun Watson's contract. Yeah. Um, so I think the Broncos could be a good fit, too. Yeah, I think that would be a good fit. I would love it even more because he wouldn't be over here in the AFC East. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, cool. I I think that's, I think we. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh my bad. I was like, that seems like the landing spot. He's gonna end up in the AFC East. Probably. No what, that's what he knows. Broncos yeah, could so. sneak in. 
Yeah. Um, I think with that, I think we should hop into the NBA because there's been a lot of exciting news in the NBA and I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, how's sure. that sound to um, you? That sounds great. Just one last thing. David Coley to the Houston Texans. Yep. He's their new head coach. Eric B. Enemy yet to be hired. Um, I think he's guaranteed a head coaching spot next year. He'll be the number one candidate. But again, it depends on how deep they go into the playoff run next year. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. That that's interesting, and um, it, I know Andy Reid mentioned it as well. You know, he definitely thought the enemy was the best fit, but he said Cully, he he knows Cully personally, and he said that would be a pretty solid fit there as well. So, um, gotta give credit where credit's due. Andy Reid thought that as well. So, um, yeah. So I guess hop into the NBA now after some long football discussion with our friends, but um, hitters of the week. I can start, I guess I did change mine last minute, but I have the Rockets and Grizzlies. Uh, Both the Grizzlies have now won seven games in a row. Rockets are at six games in a row. Grizzlies had some issues. They hadn't played since they played on the 30th. So that was Saturday. Um, and, and they hadn't played since the 18th. So to, they were on a four game or a five game win streak before then they've won their last two. Now um, they beat the Spurs both nights. Um, Jonas Valanciunas is having a huge year for them. That team, especially with John Morant still having some injury troubles has been huge. So um, Jonas Valanciunas is stepping up. Brandon Clark stepping up. They're playing as a team. The Rockets specifically, I had more stats on them, obviously. Since the James Harden trade, uh, the Rockets are actually number one in um, defensive efficiency. So in points allowed per 100 possessions, they're at 102.8. So that's huge. Uh, not, no knocks at Harden here. Their offense is definitely a lot worse right now. They, are, they have said that their offense has definitely struggled. Their shooting percentages are a lot lower. They're not scoring as many points, but their defense is playing very well which is something that we haven't really heard out of Houston. It looks like John Wall and Oladipo are starting to kind of click. They're not on the court too much together. They only played about 65 minutes together. Um, And Christian Wood did actually miss three games. I know we've talked about him a few times on this show, Um, but Christian Wood actually the first three games of that six game winning streak wasn't playing. He's played the last three. He shot 71% in those three games, which is wild. At one point, I think the first two games he back, he was like 19 of 24. He's making all his shots close to the rim. So not saying that the team's going to go out and win a championship anytime soon or anything like that, but Hey, it's the NBA. You get into the playoffs. You never know what happens. You know, you win a series. We've been talking about those short playing series all year. So um, just shout out to the Rockets. They're, they're doing really well after that trade. Their Boogie Cousins is playing very well. And they're starting to kind of just play as a team, which we haven't really seen too much from the Rockets in the past few years. Yeah, I love all those points there. Uh, my hitter of the week this, uh, this week is the Nets big three. And I know they lost to the Wizards over the weekend, <laughs> but just to talk about Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, who I've been doubting all year that they could ever gel together. I don't want to say doubting, but I was never convinced that they were going to gel together and become the team that we all thought they could. Um, but, but, wow, the past three games, they've all done great. Um, I know Kevin Durant, and then I also believe uh, James Harden had a rest game in there. But Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, Kyrie Irving against the Hawks had 32, 31, and 26 points in that order. Harden had 15 assists, so all the people saying he wouldn't be able to handle the ball, pass it around, and score what he can. 15 assists at 31 points is an unbelievable stat line, and he even had eight rebounds to throw in there, so almost had a nasty triple-double with two big offensive superstars on the side of him. So to see him do that against the Hawks in OT was huge. Um, Then against the Thunder a couple days later, Harden, who was – uh, had 25 points. He had a triple double, had 10 rebounds and 11 assists. 
Also dished out to Kyrie Irving, who had 25 points, five boards, and seven assists. Both played great. And then in the loss against the Wizards, um, Kevin Durant had 37 points, seven boards, and six assists. Kyrie, 26 points, eight assists, and four rebounds. Uh, in the Thunder game and the Wizards game, um, Durant took a rest game, and then Harden took a rest game, respectively. I know it's a close game with the Clippers right now. Coming up at the at half, it is 58-55. Uh, Durant's got 11. Kyrie Irving's got 11, and Harden has eight. But Harden also has eight assists. So wow. um, they're all playing very well together, and uh, that's surprising to me that that much star power can do that. And like I said last week, Kevin Durant's the catalyst for this team. And that was proven these past couple of games, 37 against the, uh, against the Wizards, 32 against the Hawks and OT. So he's a guy that's going to produce no matter what. It all depends on what Irving and Harden do. And when Irving and Harden stepped up to the plate, this team has won games. And that Wizards game was close. I'm not sure what happened. I mean, they allowed 149 points, so obviously the defense was not yeah. there. Um, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal went off 41 and 37 points respectively. Um, and even the bench played very well for the wizards. So yeah, um, that, uh, that wizards game, I actually watched that game start to finish. It was pretty interesting. Um, I actually was a little bit concerned. I don't have them as my shitter, but I was a little bit concerned with the nets just because at one point, like they were up 18, they couldn't put them away. We all know how explosive that wizards are, but the wizards defense isn't anything to write home about basically what happened at the end. Uh, Bradley Beal went down with 12.3 seconds left, hit a three, and then the Nets turned it right over on the inbounds pass. Westbrook mm-hmm. hit a three, and then the Nets actually missed a wide open layup um, as time basically expired. Uh, one concerning thing I do want to just throw out about the Nets um, is their defense. They're 27th or fourth. They've given up the fourth most points per game, um, and they forced the least turnovers per game in the league. Uh, over their last three, they have given up 134 points a game. Uh, I know the Hawks and Wizards definitely are some firepower in that Hawks game did go into OT, but the Thunder, um, that's a little bit tough. They've given up the most field goal attempts per game um, and their defensive ratings 25th in the league. So obviously their offense, like you said, is firing on all cylinders, but I think it's important too to, to hone in on that defense and make sure that, you know, I don't know if they're going to be finding pieces at the deadline, but that's definitely going to be interesting to watch, especially since, you know, they couldn't really put teams like the wizards away, which granted, like I said, we all know they have great offensive firepower over there, but um, Mm -hmm. that defense, I think we all said it when the trade first happened to that, that's going to be the biggest story or one of the storylines behind that offense as well. Yeah. And I think when you go out and you get uh, Harden in a trade and you get Kyrie and Kevin Durant and free agency the year before that, this team's not focused on defense. They're focused on shoving the ball down the other team's throat and into their own bucket and getting as many points as they can. So this way they don't have to worry about the defensive side as much. And you don't really have to worry about the offensive side as much either when you have those playmakers who can just go in and do what they do best. And the fact that they've been able to gel together offensively, the defense is going to come together over time. But to see this offensive production this early in the season with those three guys together, I don't think anyone was predicting that to happen. So yeah. the Nets, for me, they're my hitter this week, yeah. especially the big three, just because they're they're playing above my expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think Harden himself is playing above a lot of other people's expectations, especially his assist numbers since arriving in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I mean, spot on there with the offense. It's definitely huge. Um, I guess to keep it in that division, uh, my shitter of the week, unfortunately, is the Celtics. Uh, they only played two games since we last recorded, but they had a terrible, terrible qu- quarter and a half against the Spurs. They couldn't put the Lakers away. 
Um, Marcus Smart went out in that Lakers game. He's going to be out for two to three weeks, which is a little tough. Um, I thought it was going to be longer when he went down. But the reason I have them here is just because I'm getting kind of tired of the people who are saying, you know, they're young, they're going to figure it out. The young guys aren't the problem. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't the problem right now. I know Kemba just came back from injury, but they are one in five in games that Kemba Walker has played this year. That 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 can't happen. I get he's he's coming back off injury. They're zero and two in games that him big the big three Kemba JT and JB have played together. Um, some stats here in, in those two games that they lost. Um, Brown and, and Tatum had one hundred and seven points total between two games uh, between the two of them. Fifty four percent from the field. Um, but when the, when they were off the floor or one of them was not on the floor. So if both of them were off or one of them was off, they were outscored in 20 of the 28 of the 40 minutes that they weren't on the floor together. So what I see is the problem is the veterans. I know I said Kemba, they're one in five when he plays. Uh, he was one of 12 against the Lakers. He's shooting his worst field goal percentage since his rookie year. Again, only six games in, but it is a little bit tough. Negative uh, 21 uh plus minus against Philly in that second game, negative 16 against the Spurs. Tristan Thompson's been rough, uh, career worst field goal percentage since his rookie year, only averaging 5.9 points per game, career low in player efficiency rating. Um, and Jeff Teague and Grant Williams, I know Grant Williams is only a second year player, so I'm not going to knock him, but Jeff Teague kind of looks almost lost out there. He He's not really running the offense that well. He turns it over. He's been turning it over a lot. Uh, career worst field goal percentage only shooting 28.8% from two. He actually is shooting a career high in three point percentage, but he's a guy that likes to drive to the rim and, and score in transition. And he's not doing that right now. And they need him, especially now with smart being out there out, out on the West coast, they're going to need that depth. Um, so that's going to be really tough. Um, hopefully Pritchard's back soon. That would be huge to get Pritchard back, get him in that backup point guard role. But again, he's a rookie. Uh, he's been playing very well to date, but hopefully we can get him back in that rotation and, and playing well. And once Smart comes back, we won't need as much from Teague. Yeah. Oh, I know the uh, Celtics are a team that can't get it together. Uh, later as the year goes on, um, I think Kemba's a guy that, again, is just coming off injury. Um, you obviously don't expect it to take this long for someone to get going, but maybe he wasn't ready and they thought he would kind of be a spark and a catalyst to get this team going. Uh, but my shooter of the week, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, I know I normally cheat and only pick one game. Um, I'm actually going to extend the week to last Monday, uh, the 25th of January. Duncan Robinson has been God awful. Um, he started off hot, uh, had a stretch, uh, three game stretch of 20 points plus in a couple of games. Uh, had 18 points in two of the next four games. But since then, um, when they played Brooklyn and lost 98 to 85, uh, went one for 10 from three, only got seven points, um, has turned the ball over significantly, had three turnovers against the Nuggets uh, that following Wednesday, along with only eight points with 20% three-point percentage. Um, they, the Heat in general are three and seven in their last 10 games are not playing great. His best game was against the uh, Hornets yesterday. Uh, he got 16 points and shot 57% from three. He went four for seven. But in games where he's shooting more three-pointers, he has been terrible. Um, he's not generating a lot of assist on offense. I know he's more that three-point specialist role. He doesn't take a lot of two-point shots, doesn't drive a lot. But you expect more from someone who was dominating earlier this year. And it just seems like the more minutes they've given him, the worse he's played. Um, so I think if they take some of those minutes away, he plays a little bit more efficient and becomes smarter with his shots. 
Because from film right now, it just looks like as soon as he gets the ball, he's just taking a step or two or not even taking steps. It's just chucking it in the air, even if the guy's closing out or it's a wide open shot. And it's just not working out for Duncan Robinson so far uh, this past week. And for those reasons, he's my shitter of the week. Yeah, no. And excuse me, Jimmy Butler is uh, coming back too. (laughs) Jimmy Butler is coming (laughs) back this week. So um, I know he played, I want to say Saturday or Sunday night was his first game back. So He'll yeah. definitely reduce some of the workload off Duncan. They won't be expecting as much out of him with their their all-star, their superstar coming back. So um, that's huge. Uh, in terms of other NBA news, uh, like I said, huge weekend. Monday, uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we saw a couple, but we saw the the Nets buzzer beater Sunday night, or it wasn't really a buzzer beater, but uh, with four seconds mm-hmm. left, Dame time, huge buzzer beater against the Bulls. That game was going back and forth. I, I caught a glimpse of that one. Uh, that game was going back and forth. Kind of concerning if you're the Blazers. You couldn't really put the Bulls away. It was a game of runs. Um, but Dame did hit a, a basically hit a almost logo three-pointer, making it a four-point play midway through the game. Um, but at the end, kind of similar to that uh, Nets game, down five with 11.5 seconds left. Dame shot a three from about 35 feet, drilled it uh, on the on the opening or the next inbounds pass. They forced a jump ball. Portland won the jump ball. Dame had a game-winning three. We all know Dame time. So, unfortunately, I originally had Damian as my, my hitter of the week, but uh, yesterday they did not put up a very good performance. He had a negative 30-plus minus rating. So, um, nothing against Dame. I love the guy. I think he definitely still is in that MVP uh, conversation. Just wanted to throw this out there, too, before last night. I know that wasn't really a close game against the Bucks last night for them, but Lillard's actually second behind James Harden uh, with 54 total points with within – 54 total points with the score within five points in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter of overtime. And he's shooting 15 of 24 and 19 of 19 from the free throw lines during those times. So um, he's just showing again, why he's a clutch player, why I think he's, like I said, a dark horse MVP candidate. He showed it against the bulls. He he loves showing up in like they say, Dame time. So um, keep an eye on him. I I know McCollum and and Nurkic will hopefully be back soon. McCollum has been out for about a week and a half, two weeks now. So once they start getting those guys back, like I said, if they can just hover around 500, I think this team could get hot and make a run, um, maybe win a playoff series, you know, or two potentially if they have to play on that playing round. Yeah, I think Portland's got a good shot, especially making a deep playoff run. Uh, they're killing the Wizards right now, 46-34. Um, but Dame, again, with that big-time shot, a um, couple of other things, Dallas has lost six in a row. Yeah, Not Devin to blame Booker. Luka for – yeah, not yeah. Devin Booker also oh, another big shot in one of those. Yeah. Um. Do not want to blame Luca at all because he has been playing very well over the past couple of games. It's just the players around her have not been great. Uh, Chris Taps has been hit or miss. Josh Richardson is not having the same level of production that everyone was expecting. And that team, I don't want to say is collapsing, but this is a team I think had much bigger expectations going into the season than I think they could handle. Uh, me being one of those teams that expected yeah, more me from too. them. Me too. Um, so again, early in the year, but we're almost a third of the way through the season. If yeah. you think about it, um, and especially a team like Dallas, they haven't, they had a couple of games postponed, right? I or think they, they may have had one or two, but I don't know if it was due to them having COVID. I think like they yeah. had like a game against the Suns, obviously get postponed just because then probably maybe Memphis. Cause again, Memphis had some issues too with, with COVID. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I know that they haven't had any COVID issues themselves, so to see them kind of in this rut, is not a good sign for Dallas moving forward. But again, early in the season, we've seen crazier happen before. Um, But with the shortened season, and we don't really know what's going to happen in the second half as of right now, 
that could change and they could be much hot, uh, much hotter water than we believe that they yeah. are. And especially just the West is so good. You have teams, like I said, Portland's around 500. The, the Rockets are around 500. Golden State's 10 and 9. Um, the Spurs, like you said, they, they were, they've been out to a hot start and, and they were one of your teams to watch. So it, it's hard in the West to kind of make up ground just because there's so many good teams out there. I know the East has gotten better. But I mean, and not no knock on the Cavs or the Knicks, but they I know at one point they were sitting at like the seven, eight seeds for, for the East. It you know, in the East you kinda have some time to figure it out. In the West, it's it's tough. It's it's a grind out there. For sure. Um, last thing, Jazz uh, losing streak. Sorry, Jazz notes. Our friend James um, ended up losing on Sunday, but they still went three and one on the week. Had a very good week. Beat the beat the Mavericks twice. They outscored them a combined in both of those first quarters, 69-31. So just from the get go, the Jazz and they did play very well um, in that Nuggets game. Jokic though just went off, forty seven points, twelve rebounds, six assists. So not much you can do there. Um, I will say too, though, that the Jazz offensive rating, um, which is a very you know important stat that people have been looking at, uh, usually anything over a hundred or over a hundred is pretty good. Basically, uh, what offensive rating is is it basically evaluates your um, points scored per possession, so per one hundred possessions. So if you score one hundred and twenty, it basically on a hundred possessions you're averaging around one hundred and twenty points. So anything over one point is you know per possession is pretty good. Um, against uh, in the last week, all even the loss against the the Nuggets. They were over 120 in all of those games, including um, against the Knicks. Um, they, they scored 108 on the Knicks. Their offensive rating was over 120. Um, and the Knicks have been actually one of the best defensive teams in basketball. So, yes, the Nugget, uh, the Jazz's losing streak did come to an end. I, or the winning streak, sorry, did come to an end. I know the Clippers, we were talking about Rockets and Grizzlies are going on their runs, but I think the Jazz are going to be a threat come playoff time. I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're clicking on all cylinders. Quinn Snyder kind of, you know, he's been out there for a while. I don't think they want to blow any more 3-1 leads or anything like that. They've been to the second round before, so I, I think I think this is their year. They're poised. Cool. For sure, man. Cool. Well, it's baseball. I'll let yeah, you kick man. it off, Jordan, because I'm, I'm a sad boy when it comes to baseball right now. <laughs> Go for it. So, Our Derek Jeter retired, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, I'm going to do a double feature for my hitter and shitter. Uh, not necessarily double feature, for more, but more two for one. How about my Phillies being the hitter for getting DD on a good deal for the Phillies? And how about DD beating, being a shitter for getting a shitty deal on his end? Um, really? Signed with the Phillies for a two-year, $26 million. Doesn't sound like that bad of a deal, but for a player like DD and knowing what he did with the Yankees, statistically what he did with the Phillies, he would have had an awesome season in a 162-game stretch. Let me pull up the stats real quick, but from what memory serves, he had a 280 uh, batting average, would have hit 30 home runs, would have had a um, lot of stolen bases. Um, yeah, so he had 10. Yeah, he had 10 home runs in 60 games, which is uh, nearing 30 on the season, which which would be the most he's ever had in a season. Um, RBIs would have had close to 100. Um, batting average, obviously, 284, which I believe is the highest in his career. Excuse me, 287 back in 2017. But in his first year with the Phillies, he showed he could be a solid uh, component to that offense. And even on the defense, he played uh, considerably well. Um, not his best defensive season, but definitely made a lot of good plays there with the Phillies. So I think that he only got 26 mil for two years. I think yeah. he could have gotten to another team and gotten a much bigger deal. Maybe a four-year, not 100 million, but still four-year, 
eighty million dollar deal could have had seven more uh, seven million dollars more a year. Um, and for the Phillies that are like we said last week, one of the poorer teams in the MLB. That's what uh, they claimed. Them, uh, yeah, that's what they claimed uh, to get a deal that they did get on this end. Um, I think it's a win-win for the Phil or win for the Phillies, lose for Didi, but he has a home next year. And I think the Phillies are a great spot for him and he did well uh, yeah. in their system last year. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually didn't realize that his numbers were as good as they were just because the Phillies kind of ended up collapsing last year. Um, but I, I think it's a good signing for the Phillies. I think it's a good signing for him. Uh, part of that too. I know we talked about DJ kind of getting a good deal with the Yankees. He got the length, but I think that's why the pay, the pays a little bit, less than what we were expecting um yep. for for d or for dj i should say d, dj dd it's all getting mixed up uh <laughs> last year last episode i remember too uh, we saw Andrelton simmons got a a 10 million dollar one-year deal from the twins so i think dd is a better offensive player but his defense isn't as good as simmons who's been a gold glover in the past um and he's not as versatile as a guy like dj so I think that the contract was fair. He could have maybe gone somewhere else, but who knows? I mean, he was in Philly last year. He's been in New York uh, for so long. So maybe he just likes the Northeast. I know it's, it's a good place to play. The fans in Philly are really passionate. Um, nice stadium to play in. It is, it is, it, you know, nice gaps. So, um, and he doesn't need to be the guy there. You know, they got Bryce Harper, they got JT Real Muto, they got Reese Hoskins. They got a good, you know, hopefully for them, a solid pitch, pitching staff with Wheeler and Nola. So, uh, tough division, but you know it's it's a good spot for a veteran guy like him. You know, insert him sixth, fifth, sixth in the lineup. It, it'll be a good fit, I think. For sure. Cool. Well, my hitter, I, I did have the Cardinals and, and Nolan Arenado, but I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Dustin Pedroia decided to call it quits yesterday. It 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 was tough. It wasn't looking like he was gonna really be playing anymore at all. Um, we knew that basically back at the end of 2019, when he tried to make that comeback at the beginning of the year and it ended up not happening, didn't play at all in 2020. We, we knew it was coming as contract was going up this year for those people who out there too, who are listening, who are Red Sox fans and were saying, why didn't Pedroia retire in 2019? It's because he, the guy had multiple surgeries. He, if anyone's ever watched him play, if anyone's ever seen the guy, listen to him talk, he, he's basically the walking walking embodiment of never give up he every day i mean 2013 he had wrist surgery played in 160 games and the playoffs and made the all-star team was just batting third for that team like he's done everything for the red sox won two world series you can say he was definitely a part of that 2018 team because basically he was a coach for them when he was out for so long he was at every game he was rooting for his teammates he was coaching Michael Chavis at second base in 2019 when they were trying to move him over in this year as well. Guy's just an absolute stud. Is he a Hall of Famer? Probably not. If injuries didn't kill his career, would he be a Hall of Famer? Maybe. It's it's hard to kind of pin it on that just because there's so many one if what ifs. Do the Red Sox should definitely retire his number 15. Um, I, I said it kind of at the beginning. I think he's kind of like our Jeter. Did he make the same impact? Did he win five rings? No, but he was here for three of them, which is, which is huge. I mean, anybody who can win multiple championships in any sport is huge. He was, you know, their leadoff hitter. He batted third when they needed him to bat third. He hit second for most of his career. Um, for those who forget too, in, in uh, 20, 2007, his rookie year, uh, Alex Cora, who's their now manager, was the starting second baseman. Pedroia, they said, was going to be the starting second baseman his rookie year. He was hitting 190 after the month of April. Boston market's a tough place to play. Everyone was calling for Pedroia's job. And what did he do? He went on to win rookie of the year. He had a game seven home run uh, in the ALCS against Cleveland, led off the world series with a homer. So 
just, you know, overall a great guy. Won MVP in 2008. Not a lot of second basemen, as we've seen, have won the MVP. So um, great career numbers for him. I actually have them here, um, you know, in the, just in the time he played. So basically from 2007 to 2017, just because he didn't really play much of the last three years. Uh, four-time All-Star, like I said, Rookie of the Year MVP. Four-time Gold Glover. Uh, 299 career batting average, 140 homers, 7, 725 RBIs, led the league in runs twice in 08 and 09, third all-time in fielding percentage for second baseman, which is tough because second basemen are, are one of the more busy positions on the field. So to be third at all-time at that, you know, in fielding percentage and not making errors is huge. Um, like I said, platinum glove winner in 2013, just all-around great guy. I, I hope they do retire his number. I hope once fan, I hope they can wait till fans are back in the stands to really give him the send off he deserves. Cause anyone who doesn't love Dustin Bedroy and a Red Sox fan could, can cut me out of their life. Cause I love that man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think being a Yankees fan, whenever we did play the Sox, he was one, someone I was always worried about, um, especially early in his career. Um, just a stud. He's one of the guy in the Red Sox. I liked whenever we played them. Um, obviously big poppy was another one of them that I really liked. Um, but there was just something different about Pedroia, like you said, like the embodiment of never give up and a really team first mentality guy. So to see him retire um, is sad to see, but I think he had a great career for what he did play and showed the impact he can have when he's not on the grass, uh, not on the diamond, excuse me. Dirt, dirt, diamond. Yeah. Dirt, diamond, same <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. All the same. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's sad to see him go. I mean, we knew it was coming. Did we think he, cause it was kind of debated. He did have, and I'm sure the Red Sox and him worked out some sort of agreement. Cause you know, he was still set to make about 10 or $11 million. Maybe he'll serve as a coach this year. I, I doubt it, but usually when you retire, you take a year off or something like that, but hopefully you can recover really great baseball mind. I know they were mentioning him potentially for the manager in 2020 when they were trying to debate when Alex Gore was suspended slash fired. Um, so hopefully maybe, you know, you never know if he finds his way back. I know they mentioned that with Veritech a couple of times, Alex Cora, obviously a former player infielder, um, great manager. So, um, it, we will see. Um, and then my shitter of the week, I, had the Colorado Rockies given up Nolan Arenado. We knew again, this was kind of coming. We didn't know where Arenado was going to go. A few different teams were mentioned. I know, uh, Dodgers were kind of mentioned in their Mets, uh, and then obviously the Cardinals, the, the reason I picked the Rockies as the shitter, though, is because they didn't get a top 100 prospect for probably the best third baseman mm-hmm. in baseball, at least top two. Um, Arenado is, since 2013, I mean, I have the stats again here, and more so the accolades for him. Um, he's second in active, uh, in, amongst active players in home runs for third baseman. Third, if you include Miggy, I know he played some time at third base. Um, sixth in defensive war among all active players. Definitely one of the best defenders. Eight-time gold glover four-time platinum glove, which basically is awarded to the best defensive player um, in the league. So uh, huge, you know, obviously plus on the defensive side, four-time silver slugger, five-time all-star, led the NL in home runs three different times. So the Cardinals obviously made the playoffs last year. They ran to the AL or NLCS in uh, 2019, ran into the hot nationals, but uh, adding him to a lineup with Goldschmidt, if they can re-sign Molina, have that veteran presence, Matt Carpenter, if he comes back around, Paul DeYoung, um, all those guys, Fowler, I think it's going to be a great trade for the Cardinals, but the Rockies, I think, are just, I know they were mentioning trading Trevor Story, too, who's a nice young corner piece shortstop of that franchise, so mm-hmm. if they trade him, you know, especially for a team that was just kind of like the Red Sox, just in the playoff contention 2017-2018, 
it's tough when you're in a division now with Padres, Dodgers who are making moves. Giants are kind of in on Bauer now, apparently. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough to play there. Small market team. I know they even talked about trading like Charlie Blackman, who's been cor- again, cornerstone guy of that franchise for the last 10 years. So we will see. Unfortunately, I did have to put someone down as my shitter of the week. So I have the Rockies. For sure. And I've never heard of Platinum Glover. Uh, yeah. So thank you for educating me on that. But eight gold gloves is a very strong achievement to show over the years you can still dominate defensively and bat as well as he has been batting. So good for the um, good to see for Arnato and the Cardinals. Not so great to see for the Rockies, yeah. as you were saying. So did you see, again, did you see the Arizona will, Cardinals tweet? Oh, uh, yeah. Was Dude, that was great. <laughs> they Dude, were, their Twitter is their Twitter's good. It was funny. I love um, their Twitter. For, for those who don't know, it, it literally just said, no, like we will not announce the trade for <laughs> Nolan Arenado yet. Stop asking. Please stop asking. Yeah, please stop asking. <laughs> I was that. dying when I saw that. Yeah. Well, um, Cardinals, Cardinals. Yeah, I think teams named the Cardinals have kind of just stolen superstar players from teams because D-Hop, they didn't have to yeah. give up much. And Arenado, <laughs> it didn't seem like that. And, and the worst part about it is the Rockies are sending $50 million to the Cardinals to pay his contract. Yeah. That's they're literally insane. paying for him for the first two years and they didn't get like a top top prospect so i mean maybe something was happening behind the scenes that we didn't oh, know definitely we really we knew Arenado wanted to be traded we we knew that but i i think it just was a like you could have gotten more kind of like the mookie yeah thing. you could have gotten more. I, exactly but i think that's a situation where you would rather have the guy out of the building than get any capital back um or any significant capital back to just prolong him staying there with negotiations yeah and and one thing too i will say kind of last thought kind of like pejoria arenado is one of those guys he said it before he would rather win a world series than have his number get retired and the rockies obviously might retire his number he had a great career there but uh they they weren't winning a world series anytime soon so cardinals are definitely in an easier division um, you know, built for the rung, do have great pitching, great young pitching as well. Jack Flaherty leading the helm there. So we'll see, mm-hmm. we'll see in 2021. We will. Someone I want to bring up real quick that I think is an interesting topic is uh, Steven Matz to the Blue oh, Jays. Yeah. Um, he, he's a guy that's been like up and down in his career, uh, had a decent season in 2019. Last year, shit the bed, but every single starting pitcher was pretty much terrible um last year but i want to ask you a question do you think that he'll be in the rotation as a fourth or fifth guy or do you think they'll move him to the uh to the bullpen and be a relief pitcher going into 2021 for the jays i mean i need to look at the blue jays rotation because i know they have a lot of young guys i think they got him to be a starter just because um you know i think they need that depth um let me see i want to see what their their rotation looks like for for 2021 yeah i know they got nate pearson who's kind of a young pearson's been pretty good um let's see matt's um yeah also doing a shutout he's a uh, fellow long island guy from uh born in stony brook went to ward melville um so i heard his name growing up here and there but matt's yeah pearson they did sign Robbie Ray and Tanner uh, Tanner Rauk. Rauk, I always mispronounce that name. I mean, Hun Jin Ryu is always going to be the ace of that team, just you know, going mm-hmm. forward. So I think I think they did get him as a starter. Uh, I don't think Matt's okay. as much of a bullpen guy. He is an innings eater. He's one of those guys who you know he is your fourth or fifth starter, but he'll go out there every fifth day, throw you six innings. He might give up. 
three, four, five runs, but he's going to go out there. He's going to throw it. He's more of like, you know, long season, 162. You need guys who are going to do that. Yeah. Guys who are going to yeah, be Yeah, he averaged – exactly. And in five games, despite with how bad he did, um, he did average uh, six innings pitch the game, which yeah. is – Kind of what you want out of a starter, especially now with the analytics guys are getting mm-hmm. pulled four or five innings in. Um, it's good to see that he has that longevity to stay in, even when he's not doing so hot. Absolutely. Cool. So well. Yep. Yeah, late um, hits, man. Late hits. Yeah, go for it. Um, I want to talk about JJ Watt looking to be traded. Um, I kind of expected this to happen. Um, four, uh, four times in the first six years—not first six years, but. Four times in six years, they've won their division and we're not do not have anything to show for it. Don't even have a conference championship appearance in there. Um, so I think a superstar, a player like Watt asking to be traded, obviously says a lot about the Texans organization. If the Deshaun Watson trade uh, asking for a trade did not say enough. Um, I personally think he would be a great fit for the Steelers. Um, I know Tyson Alu-Alu and uh, Cameron Hayward are getting up there in age. Not to say that JJ's not, but I think he's a more versatile player for that defense. They are losing Bud Dupree, and I think Alex Highsmith is a good edge rusher, but not good enough to be a starter. So I think getting him uh, for edge rushing situations on third down opposite TJ Watt would be great and would beef up the interior of that defense, which I think they need more now uh, than ever, especially with guys getting older on that defense. So I think that'd be a great look. Um, Tanaka back to Japan. Um, I saw rumors of this. I didn't want to believe it, but that is confirmed it now. Is, yep. um, so uh, hopefully Tanaka can continue to dominate in Japan like he was before he came to the States. And the enemy still obviously not a head coach. Um, I'm, I'm mixed on this. Um, I think it's kind of a disservice to what he's been able to do for Kansas City. A lot of people say Andy Reid's the reason why they're doing good because he is an offensive mastermind. But the enemy has a lot of say what happens with that offense. And when you saw Andy Reid coaching the Eagles and early in the Chiefs career, you never saw the amount of motions they're running and the style plays they're running. You could say that's the Patrick Mahomes effect and what he can do, but any quarterback can roll right in underhanded backside. I think that's a lot of Eric Bieniemy's creativity and being more comfortable with Andy Reid and that organization to say, hey, let's try this. Let's do this scheme. Hey, if we run this play 10 times and then run this backside off it, it's going to open up perfectly. And we've seen that with the Chiefs offense. So the fact he still doesn't have a job, I think is a disservice to him. Um, and the fact that Texans have been looking for a coach since October and they went with David Cullen of all people over other candidates, especially the enemy is not a good look for the Texans. Yeah, I can agree with that in terms of late hits. Um, I just had yeah. two uh, more baseball brewers are continuing to hear offers for Josh Hader. Uh, one other late hit I wanted to add, I did tweet out on Sunday that I thought Trevor Bauer would sign before our next podcast, actually after the Steven Matz trade. Uh, I thought I thought that just meant Mets for him, uh, but apparently yeah. I was wrong because now I know like the Giants, Angels have been, Angels have kind of always been in the mix, but I was wrong on there. So I'll, I'll take the blame there. Um, other late hit, final late hit that I have, we have some great games in the NBA this week, especially with, with basketball mm-hmm. dwindling down. I know you mentioned the, the Clippers and uh, Nets are playing tonight. So by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, that game will be over. But Thursday night, we got Lakers and Nuggets, Friday night, Clippers and Celtics. And then Saturday night, big divisional matchup, your Philadelphia 76ers playing your hitter of the week, the Brooklyn Nets. So mm-hmm. that'll be Great games coming up. Philly's schedule, I will say Philly has had one of the easier schedules so far just by strength mm-hmm. of schedule. So 
they're going to be tested if they can win these games. You know, they they're, they're. I mean, so far they've been the real deal. If they can win these games, who knows? Yeah, maybe the one seed. For and you I guys. think, and I think showing that they could beat the Lakers uh, last week, I think shows just the team that they can be moving forward. And I think the Nets is going to be the biggest obstacle they face, especially if all. I'm assuming all three of those guys are going to play: uh, Durant, Irving, and Harden. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I know normally we end with scores for the NFL. Uh, just as a final note, I'm going to make it a little, not lighter, but just a quick, super simple, true or false question. This Super Bowl is the biggest age gap between start uh, between rosters. True or false? An average age of roster, this is the biggest gap. True or false, I'll give everyone 10 seconds. Hmm. Jack, what do you I'm got? True or false? Thinking. Let's see. I'm going to go false. It is true. Damn. It is the biggest gap of age. Uh, the Bucks have a 26.3 age. And then the Chiefs, let me pull that up. I looked this up two days ago. So I know it's true. I just got to remember <laughs> the numbers. I thought it was a Roster. trick question. That's why I said false. I got you. Uh, average age of roster. So the Bucks have a 26.3 and the Chiefs have a 25.9. So even just a 0.4 difference in age, that wow. is the biggest age gap we've ever seen in the Super Bowl. Most teams fall in the 0.2, 0.3 range. Um, and this is also one of the younger rosters. Most of the rosters are into the 28 and 27s. Um, this is a 26.3 and a 25.9. So this is one of the younger roster gaps that we've seen. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so it's the widest gap and they're the youngest. Yeah. Well, Interesting stuff. Well, um, Jordan, if you don't have anything else, I think I think we owe all the fans and the listeners just a huge, huge thank you for for listening two plus hours again this time around. And um, I don't know if you have any any final words before Super Bowl Sunday. Nah, man. I think I'm super excited. I can't wait for the game. Chiefs all the way. Pat Mahomes is gonna have a day, um, but it is gonna be very close. I hope Tom Brady does get his seventh, but for my own gut and what I think, and for my bracket's sake, uh, I really hope the Chiefs get this win. Fair points, fair points. Well, everybody, again, as always, thank you so much to listening for listening to episode seven of the Hard Hitting Sports Podcast. Uh, be on the lookout. We'll be back obviously next week, same time, but. Be on the lookout for some uh, potential bonus episodes. We've uh, been on with some other people, so uh, we're looking to, to return the favor, have them on here, and uh, get some more voices on here. So with that being said, enjoy the Super Bowl, and get Rod on the pod. <laughs>